Um, some of them will be dealt with in our letter that follows this session, um, or some of them are main modifications that people will be able to comment on at the end. Once we've heard all that, I'd be interested to hear if anybody's got any particular concerns about being able to proceed today without having had a chance to read any of those documents. It's really important. These are really important sessions, um, and it's really important that people have had a chance to read things and understand what's been put to us um, before we proceed so that it's a fair hearing for everybody. Um, do you want to add anything else? Before? No? no? Okay. So... Maybe if we can start with the, the table, would that be easiest? The, no, the table of actions from the week before that. Uh, yeah, mine's the other way on, but yeah, that one. So it starts AA1, and then they've now been given um, examination document references, haven't they, so that we can go through those, and then we'll sort of try and pick up other odds and ends as we go along. Thank you. Um, Stephen Miles, Planning Policy Team Leader for Uttlesford District Council. Yes, so I will start by running through the um, actions received and the document, uh, action, actions given to the council and documents sent back to yourselves. Um, AA1 was to um, provide minutes for the um, Full Council meeting on October the 9th of uh, 2018. We emailed yourselves, and that's uh, been added to the examination library. It was an omission. Um, AA2 was um, to provide a written response on the SA um, concerns of how the SA dealt with development beyond the planned period. Um, the Council has provided uh, a response to that. Um, going through the uh, Appendix 5, starting at page 431, uh, noting where the, um, where the comparative assessment uh, does uh, take account of development beyond 2033 and providing a commentary alongside it. That's in, in a the form of a table. We can pick that up again this week in, we've got one of the sessions which talks about um, the, um, so matter seven. Action AA3 was uh, to work with uh, Natural England in relation to policy wording for SP11 uh, prior to the stage two hearings. Um, we spoke with Natural England after the, the session they attended uh, the week before last, uh, and we have uh, we are setting up a uh, either a meeting or, or a phone call with them um, later this month. But before that, because that's before the stage two hearings, we, we've, not, we've not completed that action yet. Um, AA4 is to work with uh, Mr. Gadd of We Are Residents uh, in relation to policy wording of SP12. Um, again, because this is uh, in advance of the stage two hearings, it's not something we've completed at the moment, but we are in, in contact with Mr. Gadd. AA5 uh, 
is to respond to points made by Council for Gladmans in relation to uh, consultation period for the SA. A note was provided to you um, yesterday. Yes, this, this was an action which uh, the Council was made aware of on, on Friday, uh, and so we, we weren't able to um, uh, complete this last week, but we did get it to you today. At, uh, yesterday. <laughs> Um, I'll just keep going. Uh, action AA6 and AA7 I will take together, which is to provide an update um, on outlining the key steps and leading times of the development for the garden community, Eastern Park, AA6. AA7 has provided an update to the garden community DPD timelines in Appendix 5 of our Matter 4 statement with input from the developers. Uh, to include post-granting of reserved matter stages. Um, document ED30 and supplementary document ED48 um, uh, respond to those points. This includes a number, well, this includes uh, two amendments to the trajectories uh, for Eastern Park. Uh, it suggests pushing the development back one year. Um, this results in uh, 300 homes falling off the end of the trajectory. The, the reason the council has taken that approach with Eastern Park is we don't have a recently um, signed statement of common ground with Landsec in which they, they uh, commit to the, um, to the timetable in the local plan. Um, and they have expressed concerns in a, in a meeting last week about um, uh, progressing their application in a simultaneous way to the development plan document. So we felt that was an appropriate approach uh, for Eastern Park. For North Uttlesford, we have pushed back, pushed back the start date uh, of delivery uh, by one year to 23-24. Um, but have maintained the, um, the 1,925 dwellings within the plan period. The reason for that is we have a recently signed Statement of Common Ground with Grosvenor um, in which they commit to the, the development within the plan period. Um, also their trajectory appended to their Matter 4 statement last week and, and other statements um, that indicates a level of delivery on the site of just over 2,000 homes uh, with a 23-24 start date. So we, we felt that it was appropriate to, to maintain the, the number of homes in the plan period for North Uttlesford, i.e. 1925. The note also... Um, no, that's another note. Um, also provides... Uh, an update to the timetable as Appendix 1 for the DPDs. Um, uh, you'll see the UDC comments column, the, the third column along, alongside uh, a column for uh, showing Rovner's uh, timeline for delivery, reflecting their uh, matter, the appendix in their matter for statement. Uh, and then two timelines for, for Landsec, um, one showing... Uh, sequential DPD then application uh, and one showing the, D, the DPD uh, no, the planning application 
work on the planning application commencing once uh, the first Regulation 18 development plan document is published. Um, could I perhaps just say before Mr Miles moves on to the next series of documents, ju just because I know it's a point which uh, was raised with me informally, um, in terms of the, the treatment, uh, in terms of the trajectory um, of the um, North Attlesford Garden Community and the uh, Eastern Park uh, Garden Community, um, the, you, you will be aware, Madam, that through the Programme Officer, uh, you raised a request of us yesterday um, to uh, clarify what uh, the implications would be of changes uh, to uh, the trajectory start date and, in a sense, to, to follow that through the figures, which I think hadn't been clearly set out. Um, we only, I think, became aware of that yesterday afternoon. Uh, the Council uh, has provided a response on that matter, uh, which was provided this morning, uh, I think it might have got to you yesterday afternoon, but I don't think anybody, in terms of the... Yeah, I think we picked it up when we got to our hotel about nine o'clock yeah, last night. So absolutely. <laughs> the, 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 the point being that because uh, the council was working on that uh, yesterday afternoon, it wasn't able to engage with any of the other parties during the course of that. So what we have done is we've been able to reflect what was already an agreed position uh, as set out in the Statement of Common Ground agreed with Grosvenor, so that is reflected in the figures. With regard to LandSec, uh, there isn't an agreed statement of common ground of, of a similar nature. So the figures that we have presented, they are simply the council's figures. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm particularly uh, asked by LandSec to point out that's not an agreed position, and they have a, their own separate position, which obviously you will uh, hear about as we proceed during today or or tomorrow. But just to make it clear, the, the, the reason for the difference is in one sense, when we were working on that note yesterday, we knew what we'd agreed with Grosvenor because we'd got an agreed signed statement of common ground. We didn't have the same position with Landsec, so that's why there's a difference of treatment. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really helpful. I think it's useful for everybody to have a document like this where we, the numbers change to understand, you know, how, it's, how the trajectory has changed. And effectively, these are the sort of modi main modifications that will need to be done to the that area of the plan, isn't it? I think it was page 298A, B, something or other, um, and the five-year supply. So it's really useful that we've got that. So thank you for, for providing that. And I appreciate not everybody's had a lot of time to see it, but I think it's important that we did have it today for everybody to, um, to discuss. Um, and importantly, it shows, as I understand it, that the, fine, the figure is... I think there's a sort of a column box missing off the end there, but I think what, from what I understand that the number is 14,057 now developed within the plan period. Is that, that was the sort of number I was wanting as well to understand. Okay, thank you. Do you want to carry on with the list, Mr Miles? Uh, yes, so I'll carry on down the action list, but yes. Okay, uh, action AA8 was to provide... Um, Shmar information relating to gyps and travellers no longer meeting the definition in the PPTS and to in, 
point to the, the bit in the Shema uh, uh, which demonstrates that they are included in the overall objectively assessed need. Um, Council responds, uh, response to that directs you to the PPG. Um, action AA9 uh, was to consider a modification to SP3 to make it clear that the, the housing requirement for communal establishments um, is, make, is part of the, uh, part of the, um, the supply. Uh, that proposes, so the council response there proposes an amendment and also notes that the trajectory uh, at the moment doesn't include uh, communal establishments that have been completed or, or commitments, um, but the update uh, in September will do. AA10 was to provide an update on the Gypsy and Traveller Transit work. Um, we had a contact from, we got in contact with the County Council uh, who, who provided us some, some text there to, to update you on, on how that work's going. Uh, yeah. AA11 was to provide an updated housing trajectory uh, in respect of west of Braintree, um, the council there directed you to the statement of common ground with uh, North Essex Garden communities, uh, in which the um, the trajectory uh, discussed the week before last is set out on page uh, seven, I think, which shows that eighty dwellings per per annum. Uh, AA12 was to update. 12? Yes, AA12 uh, was to provide uh, an update on the council's settlement hierarchy, um, explaining how uh, the council had come to. Um, the council's approach to, to determine a settlement hierarchy. Uh, the, the note there um, sets that out. Yes, AA13 was to provide the terms of reference to the Land and Stansted Cambridge Corridor uh, Core Group. Um, AA13 provides those terms of reference. It also provides a link to the, um, uh, the membership of the LSCC. And AA14 was uh, in response to uh, a request from Mr Johnston on behalf of Great Dunmo Town Council to provide some additional information on the um, uh, the proposed BRT linking Stansted to Eastern Park and, and, and onwards. Um, and AA14 is a, is a technical note from Jacobs, the people who are leading that, leading that work, um, responding to the points that uh, Mr Johnston made. Thank you. And then obviously in, in addition to that we've got other um, documents that have been submitted um, this week. Um, so we've got the statement of common ground between Landsec and the trustees of the gardens of Eastern Lodge Preservation Trust. 
um, a statement of common ground between the council and North Essex Garden Communities Limited, a statement of common ground between the council and Sport England, Statement of Common Ground between the Council, Grosvenor Developments, Highways England, Essex County Council and North Uttlesford Garden Community Limited. Um, ED41 is UDC, um, so the Council proposed modifications to the plan. I would point out that those modifications don't include those amendments to the trajectory and housing figures, do they? so that needs updating at some point. So it needs to be read in conjunction with those other documents and various others. Um, ED42, the Council's schedule of proposed additional changes to the local plan, which we're probably less concerned with. Those are sort of typo-type changes. Um, ED43, GL Hearn for Andrews Field, new settlement consortium, a housing trajectory for west of Braintree um, Garden Community. And then we've got AD44 and 44A, which is GL Hearn for Galliard Homes, um, Matter 508N for Housing Employment Policies, SP3, SP4. So that provides a viability addendum and appendices, which we will come on to viability um, later today as part of Matter 7. And a letter to the Council regarding the Statement of Common Ground between um, the Council and Galliard Homes. Then we've got ED45, which is a statement of common ground between the Council and Grosvenor Island, uh, sorry, Britain and Ireland, um, regarding um, North Uttlesford Garden Community. ED46, which is the Stage 1 hearing sessions, Week 1, Action A5, submission of local plan prior to consultation period for SA expiring. That's the one I think that's already been referred to. It was a document provided by Mr Bedford yesterday and provides helpful um, references in it and then we've got a suite of documents which um, we've not had we've certainly not had a chance to look at it at all I, I opened a couple of them a couple of them briefly last night but so it was very late um, and it's not always easy to read things on a laptop particularly late at night um, and those are North Essex local plan documents which have recently been released in advance of hearings which I understand have been timetabled for later is it autumn time for the North Essex um, so they're quite new documents and I've not been able to understand what, what linkages they've got with this, the part of the site in, um, in this district. So we might need to have a look at those in more detail. Um, ED48, uh, the Council and Landsec note on Eastern Park and DPD matter. So supplementary to AA46 and AA, sorry, AA6 and AA7. And then finally, ED49, which is the council's note on the housing trajectory figures following the week one hearing sessions, which we've covered already. So as I said, there's a, a huge list of documents. I don't think I've ever seen so many in a, a short break between um, examination sessions and particularly with such little time to, for everybody to, to read and understand, which is, is of concern. Um, does anybody want to make any comment on that Miss Hutton um, yes ma'am thank you uh, representing Great Chesterford Parish Council um, ma'am it may be that some of these documents made their way to you much earlier than yesterday but uh, oh no okay well no well by our calculation 31 documents were uploaded at 4pm yesterday 
um, and we haven't had a chance to digest them. I haven't had a chance to take instructions on them. And we know that some of them are very substantial documents indeed, running to you know, somewhere 80 pages, that sort of thing. Um, so we are concerned uh, that we won't have a chance to properly respond to them during this week. Um, and it strikes us that there are two ways of dealing with this. Um, the first is, is what was hinted at by you earlier was an, an adjournment. And the second is to allow for written representations to be made by the parties on the documents. Um, I make it, I, for our part, the second one is, is really the minimum that we would ask for. Um, it, it would probably be interesting to sound the room in terms of an adjournment. Well, clearly, we've got so many people here. Um, and there's a, there's a question of whether that would be appropriate and, um, and proportionate in the circumstances. But we would ask, as a minimum, to be given a period of time, a reasonable period of time after this week, to provide our comments in writing to the Council. Or to you, indeed. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there are some difficulties with that, isn't it? Because that then raises issues that kind of kick other areas around that people then want to respond to. The beauty of all being in a room is that people can hear everything and... It's a more efficient way of dealing with things, really, isn't it? But, but yeah, thank you. That's, uh, that's useful. Is there anybody else want to make any? Mr. Robson. Good morning. Michael Robson on behalf of Great Dunmow Town Council. Um, we are very, very concerned about the position that all parties around this table have been put in. We'd communicated to the programme officer in advance of these sessions our difficulty with our transport expert not being available for this session. He's not available for all of this week. We have a stand-in uh, transport consultant, Mr Bamba, who you'll hear from later if we continue. But, for example, ED36, which is a critical document, the Jacobs document, um, on the RTS um, around which the Eastern Park proposals stand and fall, in our view. We haven't had an opportunity to review that document. Our long-standing transport consultant, Mr Johnson, is out of the country this week. He has no ability to review that. And we are, we feel we are prejudiced. When did you actually become aware? When was that available to you, that document, do you know? The document's dated 11th of July. I'd have to check when that um, became available publicly. I don't believe it was available until yesterday. Friday. Was it Friday? It was Friday. Forgive, forgive me. It would have been late on Friday, I believe, then. But the point stands that we've had less than two working days on this. Um, and we, we, we simply cannot proceed to assist you with examining the soundness of Eastern Park as part of this plan without having um, full uh, opportunity to assess that document. Thank you. Mr. Parsons, oh, Ms. Parsons and then Ms. Uh, Ratcliffe. <laughs> Just... Just to pick up on the timing of when documents were made available, we've been checking, as you can probably appreciate, periodically over the last week, daily, and sometimes more than once during the day. Um, I don't believe that the document that was, was uploaded on Friday was there Friday. We were checking quite regularly. We noticed them appearing on Monday, and then some have appeared since we last looked on Monday at 5 o'clock. Uh, so we're not familiar with them being uploaded on the Friday. 
Uh, we're happy for conversations to continue today. We can see some merit in doing that, but I think it will become quickly apparent that we can't contribute constructively to the discussion today because we simply haven't had the time to look at the documents. Thank you. Mr. Oh, sorry, go on. Ms. Ratcliffe. Um, yes, Caroline Ratcliffe over at Great Sailing. Um, you've received a raft of documents from Braintree District Council um, from last Thursday's meeting on, on the evidence, and that's that bulk. You're going to have another load of evidence coming in on this coming Thursday when they're going to be um, looking at the sustainability appraisal, the new one. And so there is just a huge amount of documentation, I'd echo everybody around this room, but also if you're sitting on the west of Braintree um, proposal sorry, proposal you'll be, you'll be looking at um, another load of documents, timing of documents is, 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 is extraordinary just for a, a lay person let alone um, a, a professional but also it shows the coordination and the lack of the lack of coordination, the lack of timing from both Braintree and Uttlesford working on the same site. And that runs through everything regarding Mr. Braintree. Thank you. Mr. Cronk. Thank you. Um, Stepping Parish Council would very much echo the points just made. Um, we'd appeal for a reasonable amount of time to respond. Obviously, we don't know what's in a lot of this new evidence, and further new evidence is likely to come forward uh, in the near future. You, obviously, uh, Madam Inspector, you, you'll be aware that you know we are coming up to the holiday season as well. So, you know, we feel it's important that people are given a genuine and reasonable opportunity to respond to this vast volume of new information. Which it's very unfortunate has become available, you know, in the middle of an examination. Thank you. Just before I take the next point, this this point about west of Braintree, obviously we've got a, a big chunk of information arrived. I think yesterday, it's, I think everybody's arrived. But we've got it at slightly different times, but it's all within the last day or so. Um, are you aware of this other documentation that's likely to come out later this week? Do you know anything about that? Or? Uh, we're aware that um, Braintree are having a, a progressing a number of meetings following um, being asked by their inspector to, to progress additional work. Um, we have been in contact with um, uh, the planning, uh, someone in planning policy, I can't remember the exact title, uh, over in Braintree last week and, and before. Um, so, yeah, we, we are keeping in, in contact with Braintree. And how critical is that information to this examination? I mean, I don't know if you, you can give us a, a flavour of, you know, sometimes you get huge wads of information, but it's, you know, it's got peripheral re relevance and sometimes it's critical. It's... Um, so, uh, you're of course examining the, the Uttlesford local plan, not, not the Braintree local plan. Um, but, uh, the element of West of Braintree that is in Uttlesford is reliant on, on the uh, element of West of Braintree that's in Braintree yeah, coming forward. Um, the council in the addendum of focus changes has, has identified the elevated level of risk following the um, uh, inspector's letters last year. The, the 
point that, that the council and, and Braintree District Council have wanted to, to make in, in getting this information before you was that Braintree are uh, seeking to continue to progress west of Braintree. Um, it, it's less the, the detail of it um, and, and more the fact that um, Braintree District Council are, are continuing to progress it, progress it to give you some reassurances on, on that front. Okay, so it's a general point that um, they've not kind of abandoned it, they're going yeah. ahead and they think they can make it work, if you like, and they're continuing to provide evidence to the inspector, etc. Do you know when those hearing sessions are? are they, uh, I had in my mind that sort of, I'd read somewhere, maybe October? Or... Uh, I don't know, um, no. but I, we can find out. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I just want to come back on that particular point. Um, uh, there is shared, obviously, infrastructure issues are shared. In particular, the, the transportation and the sustainability is key to be shared between Uttlesford and Braintree. And I can see from the um, Uttlesford's um, uh, in infrastructure delivery plan, there's huge question marks over sustainable tra travel rapid transit, and they're relying on uh, North Essex Garden Community study. And, and uh, I, I don't want to deviate from your questions later on, but there's a lot of crossover, which is important, as well as um, utilities and water and sewage and all that kind of thing. Thank you. Yes, because they were the things that were on the agenda later, wasn't it, to try and understand that. Can you just turn your microphone Sorry, off? Sorry. One, only one will work at a time, I think. Mr. Shrimplin. Hello, good morning. Uh, Rob Shrimpton on behalf of Chase New Homes. Uh, I would just echo what others have said, uh, the concern, the ability to um, properly understand and digest all of this information, which, as you say, is unique in its uh, scale and volume. And I think it raises a broader question because, of course, at the same time as all this is being provided to us, uh, according to the Council's uh, timetable for the production of the DPD, they've also got to be getting on with produ producing three DPDs for garden villages um, and whether that is progressing at the same time as all this other information, whether this slew of information is indicative of their approach towards uh, our concern would be it's indicative of an approach towards those DPDs in due course that they're being rushed through and whether people are given the adequate opportunity to um, consider and respond to information. Um, this is not really, uh, in terms of those DPDs, starting as we mean to go on. Thank you. Wants to come. Mr. Bard. Yes. Uh, yes, on behalf of Councillor Bard. Yes, uh, uh, Parish Council. Uh, yes, I mean we're uh, deeply concerned about the about, about the late presentation of these documents, particularly in in relation to um, to North Uttlesford Garden Community, and uh, it, it concerns me that, that um, if we if we proceed with this hearing, there's a there's a there's a elements of um, the evidence we intend to present will be out of date and. Uh, uh, we would really, really like to have sight of the new documents and the ability to um, digest them before we continue. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Robson again. Is it a different point? Or? Uh, uh, two points of clarification to assist, if I may, please, uh, very briefly. Uh, the first is just looking at the website. The documents were uploaded yesterday. They're dated 14th of July, notwithstanding the date on the individual documents. 
And the second point of clarification with reference to the North Essex authorities, I'm engaged in that examination process. Oh, right. the, uh, the additional essay work and evidence base hasn't yet been finalised. It's close, but it hasn't been finalised. The council are reporting they have to go through, or well, the councils have to go through internal governance procedures and obviously consultation, and then to the inspector, clues, and then the hearings are going to be scheduled, but they're not scheduled at the moment. No date. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? I can't see everybody at the back. Is there any, is there any promoters of sites that particularly want to make any comment? just want to be clear that everybody's had an opportunity to... Uh, Ma madam, can I just come back on... Yeah, I was going to come to the yeah, council and right. Thank you. take your view. Thank you, Madam. Michael Bedford for the council. Um, madam, first of all... Um, in relation to the documents that have been provided by the council, they have all been provided in response to either actions that were asked of the council in the light of the sessions that took place in week one, matters that were raised uh, by uh, Yormus Worthington uh, arising from those actions, that's the trajectory update, or matters where, because of recent agreements on statements of common ground having been reached with other participants, uh, an agreed position was reached which could then be provided to the examination. Uh, so, first of all, Madam, I don't accept that any of the documents has been provided late, which I think was the, the phrase used. The documents were provided uh, in line with the expectation that was outlined in week one that where new documents were available, it would be helpful if they could be provided before today's sessions. We endeavoured to provide as much as we could last week. And I have to say, and I don't certainly, this isn't in any way intended as a criticism. I think our uh, information is we provided the information on Friday to the programme officer in the usual way. Quite accept it may take some time then for the mechanically matters to go through the system and if it is the case that it wasn't uploaded until Monday then uh, I'm sorry about that but since we, we were doing what we could to provide the material as, as soon as we could. Um, in terms of um, how to deal uh, with the matters um, uh, there is a, a danger in a sense of saying well it's a lot of material therefore ooh, uh, how can we deal with it but actually uh, when you have uh, an opportunity to look through it, you will see that uh, much of it relates to uh, matters that were aired and debated during uh, the week one sessions. And it can't be any surprise to anybody that if the council said in that session uh, that it would provide um, a written note to clarify what uh, the position was on certain documents, it's now done that. Or indeed, in relation to the Jacobs note, we were alerted for the first time in week one to a particular concern being raised by uh, the relevant transport consultant. We said we would look at it and provide a response as soon as we could, and that's what we've done. So I don't see that there can be any complaint about uh, that. But uh, uh, in terms of dealing with matters, in uh, uh, my submission, the sensible way to deal with matters would be to give uh, other participants an opportunity to respond in writing to the new material, but making it very clear that that can only be 
a response to that new material. It's not an opportunity to introduce additional points or further evidence. Uh, obviously, it's for you to set a timetable for that, which you consider is practical, reasonable, bearing in mind your own uh, commitments and need to want to, as it were, get to your conclusions on stage one before you can uh, establish the timetable for uh, stage two. So I think there was a slight implication in one of the remarks that because we're coming up to the summer holiday period that we should let it all drift off during the summer holiday period. I certainly wouldn't invite you to uh, be thinking of uh, allowing uh, an extended period of time of that, that length. Um, uh, certainly adjournment would not be uh, a practical or efficient use of matters. There is plenty of examination business that can be adequately covered on the material that we've already got. And indeed, I suspect that people will find uh, that uh, insofar as uh, the new information bears on things, it may bear on things which more relate to the matters we discussed tomorrow, which actually deals with the specifics of the individual garden communities, rather than the, as it were, high-level issues of principle that we will be dealing with today. Uh, and, and so obviously people will also have a further opportunity uh, to uh, consider matters uh, before we get to tomorrow. So, so, Madam, I would suggest that in, in overall terms we should proceed, and obviously insofar as people need an opportunity to respond in writing to the new material, they're given that opportunity. Thank you. Did you want to ask, say something else in addition? But then... uh, thank you, Mom. Andrew Martin, Andrew Martin Planning. Um, Notwithstanding what you've just heard from Mr. Bedford for the Council, um, I think it's important to draw a distinction between the West of Braintree um, proposals and, the, and the, the other new settlements because, um, as you've heard from Ms. Ratcliffe and others, um, and indeed from the Council, the West of Braintree element of the Uttlesford plan is wholly dependent upon the Braintree proposals coming forward. Now, if that evidence is still to be examined and it's, and it's coming out in a, in a rather drip-feed session, as you've heard, um, through, the, through the Council, I'll just ask you how you can possibly consider the robustness of the evidence for the Uttlesford element until the evidence for Braintree has been found to be robust and sound. Now, that may be a matter for you to consider in relation to that particular proposal tomorrow, but I'd just like to draw that distinction, and there's a very clear point there that um, Braintree element it, or rather the, the, the element of the west of Braintree is wholly dependent upon that Braintree evidence being found sound. Thank you. Mr Robson. Thank you. I think it's important to make clear that Mr Johnson, who's not here today, as I've said, was, was identifying as early in, as his Reg 19 submissions the lack of information and evidence base. And so I acknowledge that there was a request week before last for the Jacobs note, but it, it's important to record that the, the issues run far before that. This isn't a new issue. Um, and that is in formal submissions, which I, I would imagine are before you, if I may say. Um, secondly, we are literally reading the Jacobs note as we sit here, and we think that it's not just supplemental information, it's new and different information to that which was contained in other evidence base. I haven't got examples at the moment, forgive me, because we're simply on the, on the hoof as we go. But would you be happy to respond in writing, if, we get, if you're given an opportunity to respond in writing? 
my, my concern, if I may say, is that one of the benefits of this environment is that we can explore to assist you in uh, looking at the evidence base and, and the plan. We don't have the ability to do that. If we sub simply submit a written submission, uh, the council understandably and others will have an opportunity to respond we, we we i fear we're going to go around the track a number of times because we i suspect will want to respond to that and a dialogue and an oral um discussion is a much better forum on such critical issues where there's a great difference of opinion between experts thank you Okay, what I'm going to do now, it's uh, 20 past 10. We'll take a break for 10 minutes and, and consider what's been put to us and then come back and um, set out the way forward. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> okay, thank you. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Is where people are concerned that, you know, they think that there's a document that they need to have responded to or read, then we're happy to 
as Miss Hutton outlined, people to respond in writing afterwards. I realise that sometimes creates a bit of, you know, to-ing and fro-ing. If we think it's absolutely essential, then we can come back and have a, a discrete session on, on a, a particular item with those people in the room. Um, that's probably a, 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 last resort, uh, sort of a last resort, but um, but there is still that opportunity. And that would be much easier to try and organise and try and get um, another week in a programme somewhere in our programmes and, and everybody else's. Um, in terms of the, the ongoing North Essex examination, then that's going to happen anyway. Often these things are never perfect in terms of the timing. There's often things running in parallel in different, uh, different authorities, um, different things happening. Um, and again, there is opportunities to pick that up as we go along through the, uh, through the examination process as that, that work filters out. And I think that was always always going to be the case that there was never a perfect meshing with that um, with that process that examination that's that's taking place. Does anybody want to say anything else before we move on to matter seven and get on with the business? Probably a good thing we started half an hour earlier today because that's helped us be able to deal with this little hiatus. Um, Okay, just give me a second just to um, put these papers to one side and find papers for today. Okay, right, I think I've uh, fairly organised in terms of my papers now, but uh, we'll see. So, turning to the um, agenda for today, which covers the proposed garden community, so it's the general matters, and tomorrow we'll deal with the more site-specific um, matters. And the same goes for tomorrow, obviously, if there's points that arise tomorrow or on Thursday that you feel like there's documents you've not had a chance to read that have been submitted in the last few days, then shout up and we can find a way of dealing with that. So the first point on the agenda, and there will be some overlap with things that we discussed at um, week one this week. Um, obviously we've got notes of that. If you feel like you've said what you wanted to say in terms of that particular point, there's no ne not necessarily any need to, um, to repeat it. So the first point is about how were the broad locations for the garden community selected and what evidence documents were in, uh, produced to inform their selection and as I say we've dealt with some of that probably useful for the council just to briefly run through their response to this um, in their statement I'm 
and then I'll give everybody an opportunity to speak if you want to do so. Uh, thank you. Um, so, yes, similar to um, uh, what, was, what was discussed last week, I'd like to refer you to uh, document reference 1400.1, Uttlesford Local Plan Spatial Strategy Background Paper, um, which sets out the uh, process the Council has gone through since 2015 in, in working up this local plan. Uh, a summary of that process can be found at paragraph 3.3 on page 6, uh, which takes you through um, the call for sites, the identification of areas of search, um, various SA processes, um, issues and options consultation, strategic land availability assessment, um, decisions on the strategy made at uh, council, full council in uh, 2016, um, further essay work and publication of the Regulation 18 local plan, um, further uh, evidence work which the council undertook uh, and then the publication of the Regulation 19 local plan. I've, I've kind of gone through that fairly quickly. You can find the, the detail summarised at paragraph 3.3. Um, other useful references are to paragraph 4.48 of that document on page 27 which lists the uh, evidence um, that informed the regulation 18 local plan uh, and then uh, paragraph 4.78 on page 44 which lists the evidence which informed the regulation 19 local plan thank you madam i hesitate thank to you. interrupt yes <laughs> It, it occurred to me that uh, informally there had been some um, dialogue with the programme officer just about procedural matters in terms of how we proceeded today in terms of presentation and participation of different participants. And uh, I had understood that that might be a matter that you were going to deal with in the opening sessions before we actually got into the meat of matter seven. Sorry, um, yes, that kind of has probably gone, gone to the back of my mind with yes. everything else that happened this morning, yes. So, Sorry, so in a sense, perhaps before, before obviously Mr. Miles has introduced Matter 7, but perhaps if we can just park that for a moment and perhaps return to that procedural issue, which I know that you wanted to just see what people's positions were. That's right. Yes, so I understand that um, there are some promoters of sites here today, so this is via the programme officer that people have been speaking uh, to, Ms. Sunjan Howe. Um, and they're in a difficult position in that they want to support the council in um, promoting and supporting the plan and defending the plan. At the same time, they're seeking some changes to the plan um, and, and have obviously got a seat at the table for that purpose. So they're kind of stuck in this kind of awkward position. Um, what I've, we talked about it this morning, um, as well to myself with the programme officer, and I think the best way to deal with it is that obviously people have got the t at the table put to us any concerns they have about the plan, any modifications they're seeking, um, concerns about timing, all those sorts of things that, that they might have. And if there's points where we've asked the council for confirmation or we think that people could possibly help where there's a, something been raised, and then we'll ask those people here to, to help in terms of um, providing helpful comments on, on their position um, if they've got 
particular information, for example, about deliverability or infrastructure or things like that that we're struggling with rather than it just being a sort of left-hanging question then if, if people can provide information on that, then that's how I would normally, um, normally deal with it in these situations. Does anybody want to make any comment on that? Mr Katowski. Uh, thank you. Uh, Chris Katkowski, QC for Grosvenor. Um, I think I can just about see you through the... I know, through the crowds. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, yes, my only comment is, with all respect, what, what exactly does that mean? So just seeking clarification, does yes. that mean, therefore, that, for example, when we get to questions five, six and eight for this, today's session, um, that the promoters of um, North Uttlesford, who obviously one would expect to know a great deal about how various infrastructure requirements have been derived and identified and costed and if as and when they're going to be delivered and how they're going to be delivered and what about the economic viability of the, the proposals and the allocation. Um, you know, one would expect the promoters to have particular knowledge and expertise in relation to all of those matters. Now, if what you've just said means that at the appropriate stage during the course of the proceedings we be allowed to contribute to the discussion, then that's great. I'm very, very happy indeed with that, speaking on behalf of my clients. If it doesn't mean that, then I'd obviously like to discuss that now with you. Yeah, I, mean, I think it depends if we've got... Sorry, Is I need to my microphone my... working? Yes, okay. Um, yeah, so if there's particular areas that we're feel like there's a, a blank in our minds, if you like, so there's something we don't understand, then sometimes it's useful to say to developers, you know, is that the case or is that a problem? I don't, it's not an open, open um, opportunity to just sort of promote the site because that's not, I, that's not what these sessions about are about. No, I've been around the block many times. Yes, now, I'm so sure I'm you have, well yes. aware, I'm well aware of, of that and uh, I have no intention of using any of these opportunities just to do a promotional sort of yeah. spiel about our, our allocation. Um, that's not my point. My point is in relation to various of the questions, not all of them, but in particular the ones that I've identified. I mean, we do have a particular role because, after all, if the allocation is confirmed, if it, if it is in the plan in due course, I mean, we'll be the ones who will be delivering all of this. You know, we have a unique insight and knowledge in relation to all these various points, and we should be allowed to contribute to the, to the debate about the delivery of, for example, infrastructure, the delivery of the numbers of homes that are proposed. Certainly in my experience, and all these things are anecdotal, but I've never come across a local plan examination hearing where the promoters of particularly of major allocations haven't been allowed to contribute to the discussion on those sorts of practical issues that I've just referred to. I totally understand and take your point and agree with it, if I might, um, in relation to um, broader points of just saying, oh, we support the council, aren't they great people? Well, they've done a wonderful job. You know, that's, that's fine. You know, we've set all of that out in our representations and our hearing statements. But these, these very, very practical issues where, to be honest, it's extremely galling to imagine that we're going to, be able to, we're going to have to sit here and remain silent whilst all sorts of assertions are made that, as far as we're concerned, simply do not represent the correct position. And in order for you to be fully informed, you with great respect, really should allow us to make some, I'm asking for a great deal of airtime, but some contribution on those various matters. Yeah, and I agree. It is helpful sometimes, exactly. rather than us going away with a question mark in exactly. our notebook of, exactly. well, is this going to happen or is it not, sort of exactly. thing, if, if, if information can be provided, yes. points of fact that, you know, this is... And, and I think, obviously, it's for the council in the first instance oh, yes. to try and address those points, but there are, the council, obviously, are not the promoters of the site. They have lots of knowledge, but there might be gaps yep. where they, they need some assistance yep. and I, I don't have a
particular problem. All right, well, uh, we, we can play that. it by him. I, mean, I think it, that's the best way. Because we'll there was talk, as you just to be entirely open about this, I mean, because of various correspondence we've received where it was explained to us that um, members of our team, if the council wished them to be part of the council's team, that could happen. I mean, we did think, well, why, why not do that? But shall we just see how it, how it goes? Because I don't really want people to be moving across the room, you know. No, I don't think there, that's sensible, no. It's so like if, we can, speak, if yeah. we can speak for ourselves at various appropriate times, and I'd be very, very happy with that. I, I know you won't let me abuse that, and I have no intention of abusing that position, but as long as we can talk about these practical delivery issues, that's, that's the key thing. Yeah. And viability. For anybody that's been to an examination I've run before, I run yes. them very pragmatically. Um, yes. You know, the important thing is that everybody goes away, or importantly, yes. we go away, knowing yes. what's going to be happening and we don't well, have exactly. any gaps in... Well, I'd rather um, hope that when you said you have to be, and you intend to be fair to everyone, I'd rather hope that everyone included ourselves, for example, yes. and I imagine it does. Um, and um, just whilst I'm at it, on these procedural points, I mean, later on we're going to get to viability, it's number eight, but you'll be aware that one of the objectives of the plan, Endurance Estates, have put in a very detailed viability critique um, carried out by a consultancy called Turner Moram, um, that appeared in their hearing statements for the first time. Um, and in due course, either now or when we get to question eight, I mean, I'm going to be raising issues with you as to how, in fairness, you're going to allow um, the likes of Grosvenor, who are promoting um, one of the garden communities, to deal with that. And you are actually in a position to respond to the various points today orally, and that's what we'd like to do. Um, but with a heavy emphasis on actually allowing us to say something about this work, which was seen for the first time in the hearing statements received from that objector. Um, yeah, and obviously the, hopefully the council have, have looked at that as well and have got some views on it. Yes, of course, on it. of course, yeah. but they're uniquely... Because, again, when various issues are made, for example, about well, front-loading all of the infrastructure yeah. with no return at all from any development, you know, the people who are actually going to be doing this, if the allocation is confirmed, if it is, the people who are actually going to be doing this our best place to explain how they deal with, for example, financing costs yes. for the project. Um, so as long as we have our chance to say something in due course on those sorts of points, then, you know, I'm, as always, very, very happy. Okay, thank, thank you. you. I think we're agreed on that. Does anybody want to make any other comments before we get going now? Thank you for reminding me about that. It kind of got washed away with all the other <laughs> things that have happened this morning. Um, Okay, so question um, one, um, which the council have um, summarised their position, and we had quite a discussion on this general topic um, at stage one. Is there anything anybody wants to cover in addition? Or I don't think anything's come out of the documents that have arisen in the last few days. I haven't read them in detail. But Mr. Robson. Thank you. I think it's important to recognise the council referred to the background paper in uh, a few moments ago, and that background paper, if you like, picks up the trace on the garden communities from 2015. I would respectfully encourage you just to track back a little in time, because for Eastern Park, the site was assessed in 2008 and 2012, and at both though in both occasions on both occasions, I should say, the site performed very poorly indeed. And there is a, a sea change between 
those two assessments, 2008 and 2012, and the Council's approach from 2015. And we're struggling to reconcile in our own minds why the site would perform so badly and then suddenly perform so well through the, the evidence base. Okay. Just uh, my pen's run out. I'll just um, find another. What I've done with my pencil case. Oh, thanks. Sorry. See, it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> Miss Hutton. Thank you. As, you. as you say, some of these issues were traversed uh, a couple of weeks ago, so I will, uh, I'll summarise. Um, the concern on behalf of the Parish Council is that the evidence that was in place when the areas of search uh, were produced and then the uh, sites selected was uh, scarce in relation to key planning issues. Uh, for example, heritage, uh, landscape, uh, and also um, transport capacity. Um, if one looks at the um, Issues and Options Consultation document, uh, which is document 103.2, and the Spatial Strategy Background Paper, that's document 14001 uh, on page 10, paragraph 4.5, one sees the criteria by which the uh, areas of search were, uh, were um, uh, decided. And they were potential to contribute to effective cross-boundary strategic planning uh, priorities, potential to minimise the need to travel by car, um, potential access to strategic highways and rail network, exclusion of areas with special protection, for example, the RPGs and SSSIs, and then a focus on um, key villages. We see there no uh, criterion relating, uh, for example, to heritage, um, apart from a registered part and garden, uh, landscape impact, um, and indeed um, issues of uh, capacity on the transport network uh, apart from simply just potential access. Um, there was then, as we know, the call for sites and only three ultimately came forward with sufficient ca capacity to meet the threshold which the council has set of 5,000 houses. Again, at that point and before it, no council-led capacity studies across the district as to what areas, what sites would be best from a land use planning perspective. Now, once that 5,000 house um, threshold had been reached and once it had been decided that three must come forward, and, and we remember the reason for that was delivery rates, paragraph 6.94 of the SA, once that had been set and only three met the threshold, then it was a question of, well, the rest of the impacts be damned uh, because we're stuck with them. And um, that is extremely problematic. There were then, uh, after those decisions had been made, the call for sites, a number of damning studies. Um, for example, the brief heritage impact assessment uh, commissioned by UDC, uh, document 1003.1, uh, its conclusion, which is at section 5, uh, says, I must advise, however, that based on the information available at present, it's unlikely that the proposed scheme should be, could be achieved without causing significant harm uh, to the significance of numerous heritage assets detailed uh, above. Um, whilst there would be significant public benefit arising from the scheme in terms of new housing, my recommendation would, that, would that be that all alternative sites are considered in order to achieve this benefit elsewhere. Uh, and then we, we later know, of course, that um, Historic England uh, objected. Similar 
uh, findings found in uh, landscape studies also, and we'll come on to that later, but in particular uh, the conclusion of the Smeden uh, report. As I say, we'll come on to that later. So at no point, so that was then the ex post facto advice, uh, at no point did the Council stop and consider well, should we should be looking uh, elsewhere. Um, and, and then for confirmation that the sites were ultimately uh, picked really on the basis of uh, size. Um, one can see at table 6.11 of the SA, page 47, the outline reasons for selection and rejection. And we remember first was the threshold point, then there was a mention of proximity, for example, uh, in relation to North Uttersford, proximity to M11, Junction 9, uh, proximity to Great Chesterford Railway Station, access to uh, development, uh, employment development in south of Cambridge. Now, we say none of those reasons stand up, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a moment, but we note there absolutely no mention of heritage uh, and landscape uh, constraints, including the objection from Highways England. So, um, to conclude, we are very concerned about the type and quality of evidence that was in place before um, these garden communities were selected, and, um, and even when the evidence was then became available, and this is a point made by Historic England in their hearing statement, uh, that evidence did become available, but at no point was there um, a, a question of stepping back and considering, well, are these actually uh, defensible uh, from a land use planning perspective? Thank you. Debbie Mack from Historic England. Um, we would echo many of the points that have just been made with respect to the historic environment. Um, for a number of years, Historic England have been raising concerns about the site selection process. Um, and whilst we acknowledge that that was, uh, is set out in, in that background paper, as Mr. Miles referred to earlier, um, we raised some concerns about earlier drafts of that document um, we welcomed the additional work they undertook to clarify how um, the locations were chosen. Um, and the document now does more clearly explain how those locations were arrived at. But for the avoidance of doubt, that does not mean to say that we fully agree with how the process was undertaken, nor that we concur with the conclusions in that paper. Uh, to summarise, um, it's our view that the locations were chosen through a combination of the Council's identification of the broad areas of search, followed by a call for sites process, with a call for sites process only really bringing forward three sites that met with the Council's 5,000 uh, threshold criteria. And yet, as we have just heard, there was growing and mounting evidence that there were major heritage implications particularly in respect of the site uh, at North Uttersford. Um, and yet, even in the face of that evidence, there does not seem to have been an attempt to seek alternatives that would avoid harm in the first place, as required by paragraph 152 of the MPPF, which, if I may read, reads that significant adverse impacts on any of these dimensions should be avoided, and where, wherever possible, alternative options which reduce or eliminate such impacts should be pursued. We repeat, repeatedly raised this with Uttlesford. 
we also drew their attention to the planning practice guidance note, which contains the following advice to authorities um, and states that when carrying out a desktop review, plan makers should be proactive in identifying as wide a range as possible of sites and broad locations for development. And whilst we acknowledge the Council did identify some broad locations in the first place, as the evidence rose, they did not review um, that um, site allocation and look for an alternative. It goes on, that planning practice guidance, to say plan makers should not simply rely on sites that they have been informed about, but actively identify sites through the desktop review process that may have a part to play in meeting the development needs of an area. So our concern really amounts to the fact that um, the council have not sought um, an alternative to this site, which in our view and in the views of of many of the evidence reports commissioned by the council themselves um, would represent significant harm to the historic environment. Mr. Uh, Shrimplin. Morning, thank you. Um, just uh, taking questions one and two together, um, uh, two points. The first, echoing what's been said, uh, is that the site identification process seems entirely to be... Sorry. Um, the uh, Taking questions uh, one and two together and echoing what's been said, the site identification uh, process or rather the strategy of the plan is entirely site-led, not plan-led. Uh, as has been said, essentially there was a call for sites, three came forward and three have been promoted. There have not, there's not been um, any actual uh, strategic assessment, uh, either from a, a sort of planning policy strategy point of view or in terms of landscape heritage, for example. And that's evident from the uh, uh, scope of the reports themselves and indeed the dates on which they've been published. A lot of the detailed assessment work uh, that is meaningful in terms of its assessment of sites has come well after sites have been selected. And that brings me on to my second point, uh, which is that uh, the high level nature of those assessments inevitably has a knock-on effect in terms of the ability for those sites to then deliver, and it's something we touched on last week and we'll come again on to today, uh, in terms of the identification of detailed boundaries of those sites and the timescales for delivery on those sites, bearing in mind the very high nature of those assessments. So, for example, taking the landscape topic paper, um, it says the purpose of the landscape and visual appraisal is to provide a preliminary high-level appraisal of development potential of the site. So it's very high-level stuff. Uh, and how that is in, uh, and it will inevitably take time to refine that into detailed boundaries, into a DPD, into a uh, planning application, and that will have implications for the trajectory. Thank you. Um, Caroline Reckless, Sailing Grove, Great Sailing. Um, I wish to um, agree with um, Historic England as Secretary Consultee on what they say, just across the board. Also the Gardens Trust, which is another um, Secretary Consultee, which you have in our pack, a submission pack. Um, yet yeah, very worrying about the sequence and timing of these assessments and lack of reliable detail. Um, 
and how they avoid to seek harm when they do do these assessments. So we, we would urge that the, um, the plans be clear and alternatives properly considered and how any harm is justified. The second point I wish to make is just a follow-on from Mr Robson over at Great, um, Great Dunmo Town Council. Um, stepped back in time. There was an eco-town proposed at Boxford Wood. Uh, went to public consultation. The uh, leaflet is in our submission pack. Um, eco-settlement was what it was called. Garden communities probably along the same lines. By Galliard Homes, it was withdrawn. So we've had a history of it not going forward, not working. And I would say that um, you can't keep changing the same site and making it squash into the same box just to, um, to make it happen. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Dodsley. Andy Dodsley from Little Eastern Parish Council. Uh, Mr Miles referred to the spatial strategy background paper uh, section 4.5 of that paper um, on the areas of search details the five high-level criteria which could inform the areas of search for further consideration and testing. One of these criteria was exclusion of areas with special protection, for example, registered parks and gardens and sites of specific scientific interest that was just mentioned by Historic England. Section 5.7 of the sustainability appraisal details that the site west of Saffron Walden was not identified as an area of search given the presence of the Audley End registered park and garden. Given this criteria, which was supposed to inform the areas of search and the registered park and gardens of Eastern Lodge, um, why I would ask officers why Eastern Park was not also excluded as an area of search. I also concur with the uh, comments from uh, Historic England. Um, we will cover in more, in more detail when we talk about landscape appraisals and heritage impact assessments the, um, the lack of consideration that Uttlesford have given to those um, appraisals. Um, but just to mention that um, the heritage impact assessment for the Eastern Park site has details of the huge areas of high sensitivity um, on that site and medium sensitivity. Um, there's 18 Grade 2 and Grade 1, Grade 2 star listed buildings on that site. There's the Eastern Lodge registered park and gardens that I've already talked about, and the site butts up against the Little Eastern Conservation Area, which contains six Grade 2 listed buildings and a Grade 1 listed church. Um, I would agree with Historic England that no consideration has been given to the heritage or the landscape appraisals in the selection of the areas of search and the sites. Thank you. Thank you. Do the councillor want to come back on that particular point? I think a lot of the stuff that's gone before it is probably things that have been addressed in the past, but about um, why Eastern Park and Lodge was not excluded. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, if you turn to um, uh, ED4, which is the uh, summary of representations to the um, SA report published in January, the, the SA report being published in January, that is not the, um, not the responses, um, and turn to page three of that document, three and four, that's yeah. the one, yes. Um, page 
for uh, the paragraph which begins on page four um, explains that uh, with regard to the high-level criteria uh, for the identification of areas of search, one of these was the exclusion of areas with special protection, for example, registered parks and gardens and sites of special scientific interest. These assumptions were used as a, as a starting point the council consulted key stakeholders to determine if there were any areas that could be excluded from consideration. Uh, Historic England suggested Audi End, Registered Park and Garden be excluded, and Natural England suggested Hatfield, Forest SSI be excluded from consideration. As a result of reps from Historic England and Natural England, um, the area uh, northeast of Great Chefford was included for further consideration. I mean, the, the, the comment being made there that Eastern Park wasn't flagged up as an area that shouldn't be considered as a, of the uh, heritage assets within Uttlesford, the one that was raised by the statutory consultee Historic England was orderly end, and one can in a sense understand that, uh, and so that's what uh, was taken into account as the process continued. Thank you. Do you want to comment on all of that? Just to keep the sort of my notes in the right. Thank you, Debbie Mack from Historic England. Um, I appreciate that clarification. Um, I think the point um, that my colleague to the left here was making was more particularly in, in regard to the paragraph in 4.5, paragraph 4.5 of the spatial strategy, which, as it's currently drafted, is misleading in that it implies that all registered parks and gardens were excluded from areas of search when they were not. And I think that's the nuance. And it's an issue that we raised um, when we commented um, earlier in the year. Thank you. Thank you. So that's maybe an area for main modification, if that's necessary. I haven't looked. To... This is an evidence-based document I think we're talking about. Oh, sorry. When you said the uh, spatial uh, strategy, not in the yeah. plan. No, no, no. It's, it's part of the, it's the topic paper that deals with the right. explanation of the spatial I see. Yes. Uh, strategy. Um, but I, th I think what comes out of that is his Historic England isn't, in a sense, disagreeing with the narrative of events. It's merely saying that we didn't articulate ourselves perhaps as well as we should have done. And fair point. Uh, but we have provided that further explanation in the SA response which you've got, which I think it, Historic England is accepting that that's a better fist, as it were, of explaining the position. I see a, a slight nod coming over from uh, Ms. Mack. Did you want to come back on that point? I'd just like to clarify my understanding of that. So are you saying that the reason that Eastern Park wasn't included was because Historic England didn't advise? I was asking why you in Uttlesford didn't exclude it. You were making the decisions. Did you, have you just put all of those decisions off to Historic England? Or what, what process did you go through in Uttlesford when you knew there was a historic park and garden on the site when you were making your decisions? Thank you. Yeah, opportunity to ask the council questions, but the council want to respond at all on that? I'd, I'd like to invite Mr Gillam to provide a response. Thank you. The, uh, the council basically made decisions on the evidence that it had available. The intention of the paper was to use very high-level evidence. And basically, Historic England presented us with evidence for the exclusion of Audley End. 
it's grade one listed. There's a huge difference between that and Eastern Lodge, which is examined in a great deal of detail in the HIA and levels of impact are identified there. And no impact has been identified that would allow its screening out at any point in the plan making process. Okay, thank you. We'll obviously come back to that as well. I think whoever will deal with that um, tomorrow as well as today in terms of the more detailed um, heritage points. Okay. I promise this is my last point on this. Did, did you just say that there's nothing that has come up in any of the evidence that will screen out Eastern Park from a heritage and impact assessment perspective, because that's what I just heard. Um, I think when we come on to look at the heritage impact assessments and the landscape appraisals, we will find that, as Historic England have pointed out, that there are plenty of reasons for screening out that process. So I would um, put forward my view that um, Eastern Park... Eastern Park, the registered gardens at Eastern Park are Grade 2 listed. It was ignored, and the heritage impact assessments and the landscape appraisals have also been ignored. My understanding is what you're talking about was a high-level heritage, so the stuff that went before more recent documents. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong person. <laughs> we'll obviously discuss those in a great deal more detail, but I would confirm my previous statement. The fact that the site is um, in the plan would, would, I think, make clear that the council doesn't think that the site should have been screened out because it's made it into the plan. Thank you. Mr Cronk. Thank you. Um, Stimmel Parish Council had very similar concerns. We, we set out a lot of points and criticisms of the landscape and heritage um, assessments taken. We consider that historic... England's criticism to be very damning given their role as a statutory consultee and the fact that even now doing this examination that they aren't happy with the approach that the council has undertaken. Um, we consider that the evidence-based documents have not informed the selection of sites. The assessments have sought to justify them post-decision and uh, rely on future unspecified mitigation to address the, the points raised by objectors. Yes, I'd uh, uh, like to endorse those points in relation to, um, in relation to North Uttlesford. Uh, uh, certainly as a parish council, we, we, we were amazed that um, this proposal was not rejected at an early stage, if only on the inadequacy of the transport infrastructure. And uh, uh, as we can see from the plans even uh, supplied this morning, the proposal is still to, uh, to, 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 uh, to provide a total access to an um, uh, eventual settlement size of 5,000 dwellings from a, a small B road. Uh, there is history of, uh, and uh, it, it, it was also 
We were also amazed at the two obvious transport mitigations, uh, which may have done something to address it, which, is an, which, which was a major upgrade of Junction 9 on the M11 to provide a, a north-facing junction towards Cambridge, and also a, a remodelling of Great Chesterford train station uh, were, were, were eliminated at an early stage. And the only mitigations proposed seem to have been a, a, a minor modification to the um, uh, roundabout south of uh, Sawston and also the um, also Junction 10 uh, on, the M, on the M11, which would be the point for transport going north. Uh, I'll, I, 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 I don't want to go into too great details about this because obviously this is probably more uh, matters for tomorrow. But... Um, uh, but another oddity we felt in the justification was certainly from uh, certainly from a lot of the promoter literature. There's a lot of the um, uh, housing justification seemed to arise from uh, employment pressures uh, from uh, employment centres in South Cambridgeshire. Uh, which seemed uh, distinctly odd because those pressures are catered for by the, by the recently approved South Cambridgeshire local plan and uh, also um, <coughs> uh, Essex lies in a different, dis- different housing market area so there's um, certainly affordable housing that w- w- would not be available to residents of, or employees in South Cambridgeshire anyway. Uh, I think that's... Uh, uh, <coughs> that, 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 those, those are the main points I wish to raise at this stage but I may return to some of them tomorrow. Thank you. Everybody said what they want. Mr. I can't see your name. Martin Herbert, Herbert. WYG for Galliard. Can I just respond briefly to the uh, comments that Ms. Radcliffe made? Um, It's correct to say that there was a public engagement uh, exercise carried out uh, by Galliard for West of Braintree um, in the mid-2000s. Uh, and then very soon after that, the um, economic difficulties that uh, affected really the whole world occurred, and Galliard, like many other organisations, decided to focus on uh, uh, a number of different areas. But as soon as economic uh, circumstances improved, then Galliard returned to promoting West of Braintree and has done vigorously ever since. Um, there was no planning application ever made. There was nothing to withdraw, so um, it isn't the case of going and coming back. It's um, consistently promoting West of Braintree with a a slight pause um, for uh, reflecting uh, economic circumstances of the time. Does the Council want to come back on any of those points? This point about the upgrade to Junction 9 disappearing? Um, I will invite uh, Miss Gillam to come back on that point, but I would like to come back on um, uh, the fact that the, the housing justification, uh, the, the housing justification for North Uttlesford is, is uh, linked to um, employment centres in South Cambridgeshire, and the fact that this is catered for in the South Cambridgeshire local plan, um, and that it's a different HMA. Uh, I would like to direct you to South Cambridgeshire District Council's representations to the um, Regulation 19 local plan in which they note the advantages and disadvantages of of the site, not going through all of them in detail, but one of the advantages they note is um, providing housing to meet the, the growing jobs uh, in South Cambridgeshire.
Thank you, Mr. Gillam. Can I just check? You're a policy officer with the councillor, yeah? Okay. Thank you. Essentially, that decision was based on consultation with Essex County Council Highways and Highways England, who did not require that upgrade. I mean, essentially, it would have been a contribution to that upgrade rather than provision, but we weren't required to include that at all. Um, obviously, we'll discuss that in the transport section this afternoon with my transport colleagues here. Thank you. Okay, so we'll move, I think we've probably covered point two as, as happened in the first week. These things kind of morph into one another, but uh, we've probably covered some of point two, which is have landscape, agricultural land, flood risk, natural heritage and heritage assessments being carried out to inform the locations of the proposed garden communities. Is there anything that people want to say on that that they feel haven't, they haven't? Mr Robson? Thank you. Sorry, sorry to keep waving my hand around. I, it's all I mean, right because you're at the end of you're out of my eye line. I'm, yes. At the, uh... Apologies. Uh, really, a point of clarification. We we can delve into the detail, particularly in relation to the heritage issues now, or you may decide you want to deal with them more fully tomorrow. Yes. Because there's a crossover, as I forgive me. There's a crossover, as I see, between the two. There is. I mean, what, is there something you want to make a point on now? It will be dealt with in much more detail, as you say, tomorrow in, in individual sites, but this was sort of a broad brush. Could we just briefly provide you with a broad brush position in readiness for a detailed discussion tomorrow? Yeah, please? that's fine. Thank you. At this point, then, I'll, I'll introduce my colleague and I'll pass over the microphone. Thank you. Uh, hello, it's uh, Charmaine Hawkins, Brighter Planning, and I'm representing um, Great Dunmo Town Council on the heritage issues. Um, I just want to put a marker down on the um, heritage impact assessment, which has obviously been done for all the, the garden settlement sites. Um, and we have concerns about the consistency of, or inconsistency of approach um, one specific example I can give is why the deer park at the North Uttlesford site was identified as a non-designated heritage asset when the deer park at Eastern Park initially wasn't. That has been now changed, but a lot of the diagrams still do not recognise the deer park and the significance of it at Eastern Park. Um, we'll come back to that tomorrow, but there's certainly inconsistency and a lack of recognition of a lot of the higher graded listed buildings and other heritage assets, um, which has led to um, what we feel is a, a incorrect assessment and um, of the historic landscapes and the actual assets, um, particularly um, pick up on lack of consideration of key views and vistas, a holistic approach, particularly at Eastern Park, this is very important because of the interconnection um, historically, functionally, of the, the different assets, which is, is um, particularly 
uh, unique on that site and, and differs from the other sites. And um, we note that Historic England are um, looking to support the North Uttlesford site, but we would argue that certainly Eastern Park has the equivalent number of heritage assets. I don't think that's correct. And Miss Max shaking her head okay. <laughs> quite vigorously. But um, the, the, um, in terms of um, not raising objection to Eastern Park, we <clears throat> there hasn't been a, a, a proper evaluation of some of the key higher graded buildings, such as Stone Hall, where the um, historic impact assessment. The, the, they simply didn't get access to the site so we just want to put this down as a marker coming back to that in more detail tomorrow I'm presuming the council tomorrow will have their heritage um, yeah Mr Gillam yes it's I won't go into any detail, but it's worth making the point that we've pursued a range of evidence that began all the way back in July 2015 with the baseline for heritage, which included all the assets, um, brief heritage assessment, archaeology assessment, HIA. It's been a continuous process. I think the really important thing to make, without going into the detail, is that level of harm identified as diminished dramatically as the more detailed work has continued. And it's an ongoing process and there's no logical reason to assume the, uh, even the, uh, the, HI, the, the uh, January HIA 2019 is based on a red line assessment that more detailed assessment won't identify less harm still. Thank you. Madam, could, could I just make a, a, a general uh, point? Sorry, Michael Bedford. Uh, I, th I think some of the, the comments that you've um, received are perhaps not... Um, sort of reflecting on the practical um, reality of making spatial choices in terms of proceeding uh, on an iterative basis uh, by means of, first of all, high-level understanding of opportunities and constraints, uh, making initial choices on the basis of those, and then progressing to flesh out through further studies, uh, um, more information about the choices that have been made with a view to uh, providing greater levels of detail as you progress through uh, the process, um, making then further choices in the light of those matters. And it, it would be uh, wrong in, in my submission to characterise the process of, of constraint being ignored and I have to say that when you read through the wealth of documentation that the Council has provided, you will find uh, references to 
the various constraints, but obviously, as the um, matters progress, you get more and more levels of detail as more and more studies are done. Uh, but it would be, with respect, an impossible and unrealistic exercise to imagine that plan making could be undertaken by having the absolutely full level of detail about, in a sense, every square metre of land in the district first and bottoming out every possible way that constraints could be impacted on by possible developments and get that level of detail at that high level before you make any choices at all. It just doesn't and practically couldn't work that way. And I think what you're really hearing from many of the participants is their belief that really more work should have been done at an earlier stage uh, in relation to matters. Uh, but in reality, what was done was proportionate to the task in hand and has allowed then areas uh, of search to be identified and then within areas of search, sites to be selected. And as sites are selected, then further studies are undertaken in relation to the constraints and how they can be mitigated. And that is the norm. It's the way, sensibly, that you do things. Uh, and uh, in my submission, I say, when you read through the documents, you will see that audit trail. You will see that progression. And nothing uh, in that is unusual or untoward. And some of the language which is being used of characterising things of saying this was ignored or this wasn't taken into account, what really objectors are saying is their own take is that more weight should have been given to a consideration in the process, uh, but it would be wrong to say that factors were ignored or disregarded. Thank you. Ms Mack, do you want to uh, come back? Thank you, Debbie Mack for Historic England. Um, I think we've already heard that there has actually been a wide range of evidence in relation to heritage and landscape impact that has been prepared. Um, the Council commissioned the brief heritage impact assessments um, and all of those, all of those impact assessments identify concerns in respect to the impact on the historic environment and the most serious concern being in relation to North Uttlesford. Um, these particular reports recommended that further detailed HIA work be done, and to their credit, Uttlesford District Council commissioned further work. They commissioned Donald Insull to prepare full heritage impact assessments, and those were prepared um, to a brief that was agreed with ourselves. And so, therefore, we, we consider that the Council have... Um, taken uh, useful steps in preparing evidence for the, for the preparation of the local plan. Um, it should be noted in respect to that full HIA that Historic England wasn't given the opportunity to comment on the final draft of the report before it was submitted to yourselves um, in January of this year, uh, despite us actually uh, writing to say that we needed to see that first. And indeed, there are parts of the report that were missing at the stage it was submitted to yourselves um, and there were parts of the report that we do not agree with entirely and to that end we're unable to endorse all the findings of that report. Um, and given that that report was only finalised after the Regulation 19 consultation um, which was last summer um, and yet the report was only finalised in January of this year 
it did not fully inform the locations of the new settlements. Um, there has, of course, been additional work on landscape, um, which is to be welcomed. But the question is not so much whether the work has been undertaken, but rather to what extent the findings have influenced the plan preparation process, and in particular the location of the new settlements. It is our view that the evidence did not sufficiently inform the plan preparation process, that perhaps sufficient weight was not given to them, um, both in terms of the location of the garden communities, the extent of the developable areas, and finally the policy wording in the local plan. The findings of the full HIA may indeed be helpful in refining the policy wording, and I think you've um, begun to see emerging in the main modifications some refined wording. Um, and we are continuing to work with Ottosford District Council on revised wording for the garden communities, should you find them sound in principle. It's hoped that that may be included in a statement of common ground that we are still working on. But notwithstanding that, we continue to hold an in-principle objection to North Ottosford on the basis of the impact on the significance of heritage assets and the wider historic environment and landscape. Our detailed concerns on that site will be set out in more detail tomorrow when we will have one of our inspectors um, of ancient monuments here to give more detail on the historic environment. Thank you. Did you want to come back on that at all, Mr Gillimore? Yes, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the um, HIA didn't inform the plan. We had published a draft of that well before submission and we had a fairly strong draft well before we submitted I was just I was just going to clarify that I think I said did not sufficiently inform and not sufficient weight was given which is not to say it didn't inform Madam, I suspect what we are really dealing with are issues of weight and balance and you've got all these documents and yes. you're going to have to take a view on them I suspect we're not quite going to agree with historically no we'll come back that, to it tomorrow as well yeah. in more detail yeah Miss Hawkins Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a couple of points. Firstly, coming back on the debate we've been having about timing of reports, um, just to flag up that the Grade 2 Star Stone Hall um, is of significant importance on the potential impact of the... So what was the name of the hall? Stone. Stone, stone Hall. hall. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. Um, the impact of the um, BRT route, um, which was only produced... The route of that was produced in June... Uh, 2019 and obviously that is very much after the heritage impact assessment was produced so that clearly has not been taken into account the key issues that I want to raise at this point are that the SA uh, appendix 5 page 402 identified there would be significant permanent negative impact on the historic environment. So that was a fairly early finding, broad brush. The Donald Insel report 
has identified one of the key issues as being the change from rural to an urban setting for all of the heritage assets. We maintain that there is undue reliance on public benefits outweighing harm rather than the mitigation of impact. Yes, um, I know much is going to be um, discussed about heritage impact assessments tomorrow. Um, I just draw your attention on that point to um, the setting of heritage assets guidance note that uh, Historic England have and the various steps, one, two, three, four, that you go through to identify the harm and um, its impact. Secondly, just on um, the agricultural land point of view, we um, farm neighbouring fields. Um, just interesting to note in the uh, classification of agricultural land, Natural England classifies at grade two and three, grade two being um, good, grade three being moderate to good. The, the uh, Stratton-Parker analysis gives the site grade 3A and grade 3B. Um, grade 3A, they classify as moderate to good, and grade 3B, good. So it's just sort of the, the identification of what's good, what's moderate. I can say, as next door, we still do grow good cereal <laughs> and crops, but not sugar beet, because that's difficult. But that's the point I wish to make, just the classification and identification if it's good or moderate. Thank you. Um, thank you. Um, just a brief response to... Mr. Bedford, and the point that this is well all about judgment. Um, it, Mr. Bedford is absolutely right that how this should work and how one would expect this to work is that one has high level assessments and then increasing. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that better? Yes. Um, how this should work is, of course, that one has high level assessments and then uh, progressively more detail as the plan is assessed through, amongst others, the SEA process the SA and of course reasonable alternatives are assessed at the same time and how it should work is that the council keeps an open mind um, as to what options it's going to, to, to go with. What is abnormal uh, and what has gone seriously wrong in this case and here I'm going to, to go into question three is what's happened is the council set itself that 5,000 threshold target. It decided that three garden communities were needed it did a call for site rather than doing its own capacity studies and taking the initiative itself. Um, what that meant was that effectively it was stuck with the only three that came forward to meet uh, that threshold. I'm not going to repeat the comments I've made on that threshold at week one, but I'd ask you to simply import your note uh, of those comments here. But what's happened... Um, it's not a question of an iterative process as required under uh, SEA regs where an open mind is kept and there's consideration of impacts and reasonable alternatives and the council can at any stage change its mind. What the council has done is it's hitched its wagon uh, to this 5,000 house threshold to three garden communities. Once there are only three options on the table, well, 
one has to simply put up with the impacts. Um, and so the council say, well, it, you know, it doesn't matter that the studies have come forward later uh, because effectively they've already bound themselves um, to those three settlements. Um, and you know, the clearest evidence for that is the failure to consider any alternatives um, in, in terms of size of those settlements, so under the 5,000 threshold or indeed one or two settlements, but that's going over old ground from last week. Um, so I don't accept that these are all simply just matters of judgment, but this is a, a matter of proper and lawful process, uh, which we have say has gone very seriously wrong. Come back on that, Mr. Myers. Uh, yes, please, just briefly to direct you to the spatial strategy background paper. Um, section, uh, or paragraph 4.46, page 25, and uh, the table and paragraphs that follow, uh, in which you can see a series of options set out uh, and appraised uh, at the time of the Regulation 18 local plan, which includes sites of, um, which includes other al alternatives to the garden communities that, that have made it into the final local plan uh, with a number of homes less than 5,000, um, taking as an example option four on that page. It includes um, uh, Chelna Mead uh, at 1,500 homes. The, the council didn't close its mind to um, alternatives uh, alternative options which had uh, smaller um, smaller but still large scale developments um, and you, you'll see that th um, throughout the, um, the paper that yeah thank you thank you uh, and I think Mr Gillam's got something to add as well sorry yes it's worth adding that in terms of uh, this screening exercise a logical exercise has been undertaken and I can't see any evidence which justifies how what's been found unsustainable on perfectly good grounds with perfectly good evidence could then be revisited at a later date and then be reinvented as sustainable. All the evidence that has been produced subsequently supports that view. On the, the HIA in particular lower levels of harm have been identified. So I've seen nothing really that can change what's in there. Thanks. Thank you. Mr Dodsley. Uh, just to pick up on Mr. Gillam's point, um, that's obviously where we all fundamentally disagree, and I'm sure we'll address that again tomorrow. Just a general point on um, heritage impact assessments and uh, landscape assessments. It's worth noting that the latest version of the proposer's master plan shows the site extending eastwards outside of the original site red line area, which surrounds the Little Eastern Conservation Area i.e. outside the boundaries of any of the previous development maps. 
the latest master plan now proposes development into a different area than was the subject of any of the landscape or heritage assessments in the evidence base and will have an even more profound impact on the heritage assets in the Little Eastern Conservation Area as it will now su surround the Little Eastern Conservation Area on three sides and that's the latest proposal master plan that's in the evidence base. Thank you. Do the council want to respond on that? Uh, only to say that that is the promoter's latest master plan. It doesn't have any uh, any status, and the plan that's being examined is the local plan before you. So the plan, and we'll come on to about whether it should be a fuzzy line or a solid line or whatever at, at uh, a later point. Okay. Mr. Robson. Two short points. <clears throat> just going back half a step to Mr. Gillam's comments just now, I'm paraphrasing, but I think he said it, it wouldn't be appropriate and possibly stronger words than that to reinvent a site after, after it has been found to be unsustainable. And yet that is precisely what the council have done, bearing in mind my earlier comments in relation to the call for sites exercise in 2008 and 2012. And as we've heard, it is a proportionate assessment to the task in hand. So there were no other assessments between 2008, 12 and 15 of any differing scale or proportionality. <coughs> my microphone might be dipping in and out. And I can't see my light because I'm catching a suntan over in this side of the room. Um, and so there's no difference in assessment level, if you like, proportionality at that point in time. So we have very strong concerns about that point. But to, to the point that I was going to raise, forgive me, Chelmer Mead has just been raised, and that is an excellent example of a site that performs better than Eastern Park in the SA, but wasn't taken forward because of the 5,000 threshold vis-a-vis -vis secondary schooling. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to respond on that point? Uh, yes, just on the point that Eastern Park or proposals at Eastern Park have been rejected in the past. Um, that is the case. Uh, they were the proposals were, were different from the ones before you today. Uh, we're also operating in a different planning policy context. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean that's a. The, we also have a, a, a greater deal of greater deal further evidence uh, relating to the site. Uh, I think. Mr. Gillen wants to add something to that as well, but before he does, <laughs> um, just uh, on on the uh, the point about Chalmer Mead, um, it the the and we're getting into details of, of sites here, which um, I'm reluctantly but 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 will. Um, it wasn't just uh, the the five thousand uh, home threshold, which uh, which meant that Chalmer Mead wasn't taken forward. It was also linked to. Um, uh, transport requirements and, and uh, getting suitable access onto the A120. Yes, to add to that, I mean, in simple terms, we have a completely different evidence base. We have 
a fundamentally more detailed evidence base, whether it's transport, which looks at a comparative assessment and has modelling to do that, which we didn't have before. We have a full water cycle study that's been fully signed off by the EA, a full level two hydraulic modelling that's got full technical sign-off. Um, that didn't exist before. Obviously, we didn't have a full HIA before with all that detail, and the list goes on and on. Do, do you want to say, I'm conscious of the times moving on, and is it a different point, or...? Some... It, it's just a final point on that point, if I may, please. Okay. It's, it's, uh, simply to say, in 2008... The assessment as to why the Eastern Park shouldn't be taken forward is that it is, firstly, a unique area, and secondly, very poor transport links. I don't accept that any additional evidence base or different policy framework would change the fact that this is a unique area with very poor transport links, and we'll deal with whether there is a mitigation strategy in place to deal with those, perhaps later today and tomorrow. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Do you want to come back? And we can go on forever, kind of batting things back and forward. Um, it's coming up to quarter to 12. I'm conscious we probably all need a, a short break, even though we had a short break earlier. So um, given the amount of people in the room, I think we probably need about 20 minutes to allow everybody to use facilities and get a cup of tea and things. So if we break until um, five past 12, and then we'll break for lunch at one o'clock as planned, as the f in the first week, can I just remind people to tidy up cups back to the table and things, and at the end of the day, take away rubbish and things just to save Louise um, that job at the end of the day when she's been here for many hours. Okay, thank you.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. So, um, before the break, I think we'd probably covered point three. Is there anybody wanting to say anything on point three on the agenda that we've not said? And again, we've covered this point in week one as well. So, that takes us on to um, question four. Just, um, Sorry? Oh, you wanted to say something on point three, okay. Andy Dodsley at Leaston Parish Council. Um, apologies, I wasn't at the hearings in the first week, and I did ask uh, the programme officer if I could raise an issue this week. 
Um, given the significant negative impacts against sustainability objectives of the preferred approach of 10,000 homes, the updated sustainability appraisal carried out an assessment of reasonable alternatives and assessed a 5,000 home option against the preferred option. Um, this may have been covered last week, I don't know if it was. Um, of the uh, 15 sustainability objectives, the 5,000 homes option was ranked ahead of the 10,000 homes option in six of those sustainability objectives. Of the remaining nine, the 10,000 homes option was ranked ahead of the 5,000 homes option, including, surprisingly, for sustainability objectives on reducing contributions to climate change and reducing and controlling pollution. It's inconceivable how an option to build 10,000 homes can be ranked as preferable and more sustainable than one to build 5,000 homes. The commentary contains an assumption which has been used as a determining factor that the larger development is more likely to deliver a rapid transport system. Where is the evidence to support this critical assumption? There is nothing anywhere within the local plan evidence base or the rapid transit study that gives any evidence to support this assumption. Thank you. I don't know whether we need to cover that. I think we'll cover it in, in wider points as well. Um, So in terms of um, question four, about the, this is about the locations of the proposed garden communities and whether they're adequately identified on the policies map. So they have a sort of um, fuzzy edge to them on, on some of them and then there's other areas, which I'm sure you've all um, seen. So there's, there's no sort of definitive clear line around the edge of them. Is there, do you want to explain the reason for that and then if anybody wants to, to comment. Can you also in doing that explain if you've considered whether um, infrastructure is included in that as well so whether the, beyond those areas there's going to be a need for roads and things in, in land that's not shown. Uh, thank you. Um, yes so the idea of the fuzzy boundary um, set out in, in our statement is the fact that uh, there's there's further work to do in the development plan documents in refining the, the boundary of development. Um, the, the, the idea behind the fuzzy boundary is that that sets out to the reader that, um, it, it, that it's not yet fixed. Um, regarding the uh, inclusion of infrastructure, um, proposal. So you'll know from um, the the note presented uh, in the first hour or so today that we met with Lansec last week. That was um, to discuss a number of things. But am among that, they they raised again the, their proposal to include um, the land identified for infrastructure, the, the BRT, and the country park within the uh, site boundary. Um, if you were minded to do that, um, we would, or the council would um, want it to be indicated in, in some way that they, they were different from the, um, the, the existing uh, blurry boundary in that they would be, uh, as NANSEC have, have set out, um, 
be to be providing infrastructure proposals in the form of the, the BRT and the, the country park. And how, how do you see the, the line differing much in the DPDs from, you know, it's a concern that obviously we've got, the, the plan that was adopted would be different to something that um, was then in a DPD, so that we're effectively signing something off that we're not sure of where the boundaries are or... Um, oh. Uh, there is a paragraph in the uh, submitted local plan, which I, I can't find immediately, um, which makes reference to the fact that they are the garden communities are identified as broad locations. Um, and I'm not going to find it immediately, but um, we, we will be able to supply the reference uh, later. Um, in, in terms of the, the final development bound, final boundary of development within these. Uh, these sites it is um, there is a likelihood that they will differ from the the, the boundary uh, and getting in, into specifics only to by way of an example um, North Uttlesford Garden Community uh, contains within it a, a scheduled monument um, a Roman temple down down on the south side of the site towards Great Chesterford Village. Um, I, the final development boundary would want to respect that that designated site and and its setting. Um, so it would be highly unlikely that you would be looking highly unlikely. I, we wouldn't be looking for built development on top of the scheduled monument. No, you can have a development line where not everything in it's built, so it can be incorporated into other features, isn't it? So I think. That's the worry, and that, um, and that if the if the line expanded or changed in a different direction, for example, that then the evidence base wouldn't be sort of a mismatch. Then again, that if the DPD wanted to um, uh, amend the boundary to to expand it, um, then yes, obviously there would, there would need to be good justification and good evidence base to do that. Um, So, if anything, it's likely to shrink rather than expand. Well, as so, that example for for North Huddlesford, yes, um, but it would be for the DPDs to uh, to consider that in in with the evidence before them. Another example, just to try and be helpful. Um, uh, Eastern Park, uh, uh, um, 
the landscape evidence and the heritage impact assessment evidence uh, identifies that um, parts of the site to the north, um, specifically to the north of Park Road, are more sensitive. Um, and so the DPD will have to consider how that, um, how that is dealt with. Uh, and, and in terms of the reference, it is paragraph 3.79 uh, on page 36 of the submitted local plan, which makes reference to broad locations. And, Madam, just in terms of the overall context, you'll be aware of the uh, provisions under the 2004 Act in terms of section 38, uh, and I think it's subsection uh, 5, uh, which effectively... If there are differences between one DPD and another DPD, it's the later to be adopted uh, that uh, would prevail. Uh, obviously, that would only be uh, would only come about through good reason. So that if, for example, it turned out that in the more detailed planning of the garden communities that some particular infrastructure item, let's say, I don't know, it might be some kind of sewage um, treatment element or, or, or such, was for uh, engineering or operational uh, or other reasons best located outside of the furry blob, if I can call it that. Uh, that could no doubt be um, discussed and debated in the course of the evolution of that more detailed DPD. And obviously, if there was a good justification for looking at land outside of the furry blob for that particular infrastructure item, then uh, that would be tested through that DPD. Uh, and so there would be you know, the potential uh, for there to be um, uh, divergences. But the need for them would obviously be scrutinised in that later DPD process. Uh, but uh, I say, I think you know, what we're saying is on the basis of all the current workings, we've identified areas which do provide the broad locations to deliver the garden communities, but uh, for the reason Mr. Mars has outlined, we don't think at this stage one should try to crystallise that it's absolutely this side of that, as it were, fence line is the limit. It should be the, the furry blob uh, approach. Just a, a kind of side point, and I think uh, this morning we referred to BRT and RTS, isn't it? And I think just for anybody that's here that doesn't understand, I'm just conscious of making sure that everybody that's here understands what we're talking about. And the BRT is the bus rapid transport, and the other one is the rapid transport scheme system. But the, the, they're effectively one and the same, so yeah. Um. <laughs> the the BRT would be a form of RTS. Yes, that's right, yes. <laughs> Subset, as it were. It's, what, it's one way of providing Priding, R, that's right. RTS. Yeah. We just need to be clear for people that are listening, probably thinking, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> Mr Dodsley, do you want to speak on the uh, map? Um, I hear what um, Uttlesford is saying around a furry blob. I wasn't party to the furry blob conversations of a couple of weeks ago. We All oh, right. <laughs> um, I'm not a planning expert. I'm just a resident 
Um, certainly from a residence perspective, we would be looking for um, this inquiry to define the parameters of the developable area before we get to DPD. People are going to be asking where is uh, the local plan going to put development and I think it's absolutely critical that we define the boundaries of the site. Otherwise, how can you decide what the developable area is? I know we're going to get into that more tomorrow. But certainly from a residence perspective, um, there is evidence in the evidence base that shows where the high sensitive, medium sensitive and least sensitive areas are. And we would want this, in this inquiry to come up with site boundaries rather than kicking the can down the road for another year or two. Uh, I can't remember your name because I can't see Mac, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Debbie Mack from Historic England. Um, yes, we have repeatedly suggested that the boundaries should be more clearly defined. <clears throat> the broad locations of the garden communities are shown as shaded areas of we've talked about, these fluffy blobs. Um, there is also no indication within the plan of which parts of the site would actually be developable bubble and which areas would remain open and I think it's this sort of level of detail that would be helpful in demonstrating how harm could be minimised and give confidence that any future development would minimise impacts on um, environmental considerations including the historic environment and this lack of clarity uh, leads to uncertainty and ambiguity and does not provide an appropriate level of detail that's required um, by the MPPF. I think if we look at paragraphs 154 and 157 of the MPPF under which this uh, plan is being examined, it's very clear that policies should be um, uh, provide certainty um, and be appropriately worded. Um, for a considerable length of time, over a year, I think, we have been recommending to Uttlesford um, the provision of concept diagrams or strategy diagrams to um, illustrate the proposals. Um, this has been very effectively used in a number of plans around the country. Um, I've brought one example here um, from uh, Wellin and East Hearts plan. It was a cross-boundary site where they used a, a strategy diagram to illustrate the main principal features, where the open space would be, what protection was needed for heritage assets, and so on. Um, that's happened in all sorts of other uh, contexts at South Cams in respect to the Water Beach New Settlement. Um, there was the limit of northern development that was set specifically in response to an HIA, uh, two HIA, should I say, for the setting of Denny Abbey, a Grade 1 listed and scheduled monument. Um, also, it's happened at Broxbourne. Uh, currently, the uh, Joint Spatial Strategy for the West of England includes 12 new settlements, each of which have a concept diagram. I think it's a really effective way of demonstrating how sites can be developed in a way that minimises impacts um, and something that we would really urge the council and, and yourselves to consider um, as, as you go forward. Mr Robson. Thank you. Three short points, if I may, please. Firstly, Ms. Hawkins this morning has, uh, or uh, yes, this morning has already identified uh, a key problem when infrastructure uh, is not included within the site because the evidence base has been testing um, a site at Eastern Park without any recognition of the rapid transit system or whatever the system is to be um, is included. 
and that fundamentally changes the assessment, particularly in relation to heritage, as we've heard. And the same can be said in relation to the general site boundary itself. And if Eastern Park is to find its way into a plan that you ultimately, as inspectors, found, find sound, there will be a ship that has left the port and and when we get to the DPD stage, there will be huge pressure on your col This microphone does not like me. Thank you. I won't take you personally, but um, you won't be seeing me this afternoon if that is the case. But um, there will be huge pressure on your colleagues when they're dealing with the DPD because they will be referred time and time again to the fact that this is a plan that has been adopted with a site that's fundamental, goes to the heart of the plan. It isn't a small allocation that can be replaced with something else. And the boundary may increase. And that may have pressures on landscape, heritage, coalescence, the airport, transport, the whole range of issues that we don't know about at this stage. And that is a really significant concern for us because we just don't know. And my final point to make is that we wouldn't have a blurry, fuzzy edge on a site of perhaps 100 units or 50 units or 150 units. And a site of that scale won't have anywhere near the impacts that Eastern Park will have. And so we're effectively watering down the plan making process on a site of on, on a substantial scale, um, the reverse of how it should be, because the impacts are just so much greater. And yet we don't know what those impacts are. So ultimately, we need to tie this down would be my respectful submissions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, there's the generic, well you'll know this is covered in paragraph 1.24 of our hearing statement, this is one of the very few points where we have asked for a change, um, and um, there's a generic reference in paragraph uh, 3.79 of the uh, Reg 19 plan um, to broad locations, that's for all the garden communities, if I just focus on the reference which relates just to us, North Uttlesford, that's at paragraph 3.96 on page 48 of the Reg 19 plan, 3.96. And it's, we're told there, and the public's told there, that the, this local plan sets out the principle of development at North Uttlesford within a broad area of search. And then we, we know that there's the fuzzy diagram, blob, or whatever it might be. And to be, it's a very straightforward point, and I, we don't want to make a great big fuss about it, but it, it's, it's very, very simple indeed. I mean, to say in relation to the um, garden community promoted by Grosvenor at North Uttlesford that there's a broad area for search isn't actually entirely correct, is it? Uh, because we all know where the site is um, at North, North Uttlesford. It's shown in the documents that we refer to in our hearing statement at 1.24, but it's also shown, for example, uh, in the red line of our illustrative master plan and appendix two to our hearing statement so we it isn't a broad area for search uh, of search for you know where are you going to put this garden community in, in this area broadly roughly generally I mean we know where the boundaries of the of the site are obviously within that site which is in language I can understand 
well over a thousand acres in size, um, there is every opportunity then when it comes to planning that site for you know, how you're going to protect this, how you're going to protect that and so on and so forth and doubtless when we come to heritage tomorrow we'll be looking at this in more detail um, but it's simply that we, we speaking for our own part consider that the reference to a broad area of search for our proposed garden community isn't really apt because we're it isn't a broad area for search you know, we know if the plan's adopted if it is with our garden community in it we know, where they, we know where this garden community is going to be. It's going to be within the, within the red line that we've shown on our, on our plans. Um, so I, if I use the word misleading, I don't mean that in an offensive way, but it's just not really giving the correct picture at the moment to say this is a broad area of research. I can't speak for the other garden communities, but for us, we know exactly where our, where our land is, so to speak. And that's what everybody's talking about, those who support it, those who object to it. Everyone knows where, where we're talking about, so shouldn't this be clearer in the plan? Um, you would do that, I would say, ideally by removing reference to broad area for search, at least in relation to North Uttlesford, and preferably by having a plan which more clearly identifies the boundary of the, of the site. Um, that's not to say, obviously, that we're going to develop or would want to develop every square metre of that site. Of course not, but we'll come to more detailed matters tomorrow when we look, for example, at Heritage. So really it's just a question of the plan fairly setting out what the, what the actual position is. That, that's our only point. Thank you. Do you want to comment on that at all before we move on to anybody else? Only to say that my explanation at the start sets out the Council's uh, view and, and the idea of the, of the fuzzy line uh, relates to the fact that there's further work to do to, to refine that. In terms of the text, sort of, I suppose, a, uh, seeking a modification to the text is probably what was, or a deletion of a part of it, that's probably more accurate. I mean, if the plan didn't refer to them as broad locations and referred to them in, in some other form of language, which, uh, which still indicated that there was further work to do through the DPD, I, I don't think the council would, would object to that. Thank you. Madam, I was just going to add one further point, which is in terms of the um, 2012 regulations, and it's Regulation 9, which deals with the form and content of the adopted policies map. Uh, and it tells us uh, that such a map must be reproduced from or based on an Ordnance Survey map, include an explanation of any symbol or notation which it uses, having a key... But then the, the key words, it says, illustrate geographically the application of the policies in the adopted development plan. So really just the issue for you is, does what the council's currently proposing adequately illustrate geographically the application of those policies or is, is more required? Thank you. Mr. Cronk. Thank you. Um, Stibbing Parish Council agrees with others uh, who have spoken with regard to considering that the boundaries should be better de defined in order to provide long-term certainty and to demonstrate the actual deliverability taking account of key constraints. Thank you.
Thank you. Mr. Bard? Uh, yes, um, uh, on behalf of Sawston Parish Council. Um, yes, I mean, I, I, I take the point that the uh, general outline in North Uttlesford and Garden Community in particular is, um, is very clear. In fact, we were handed a plan this morning which shows a, uh, a plan which is described as a master plan, presumably an illustrative master plan. But um, uh, it also notes that only 42% of the site will be developable. And I'm, I, I'm concerned that uh, perhaps the plan, or perhaps the final plan, ought to be a little bit more prescriptive as to what goes on within that site and uh, I, hear, I, I hear the comments about heritage which are important and which I endorse but I'd also like to raise the issue of drainage because of the, the um, unusual geology of this site uh, means that the, the highland is covered with impermeable boulder clay and uh, uh, the way in which the site is developed will have very significant effects on the, um, on the viability of it and the drainage problems arising from it and uh, uh, perhaps this is an issue which we ought to visit in greater detail tomorrow but I think that um, I'd like to flag that up at this stage. Thank you. Somebody, Ms. Uh, Ms. Parsons and then uh, Mr. Warren. Thank you. Um, it's just really Important, I think, that we don't lose sight of the issues that were discussed at the last week's session. A number of the points that are raised today, I think, do go back to some of those issues that were raised by some of the contributors around this room about either the soundness of the process or the legality of the, the essay work that underpins the local plan. All of these issues are starting to filter through into this session here today. And we've heard about fuzzy lines. We've heard about further work being needed to to be done. We've heard Mr Robson talking about the importance of understanding the impacts that are arising. All of those go back to the issues that were raised last time and you'll remember on behalf of Bloor Homes and Martin Grant Homes, the points that we were raising is that there's not been enough attention given in the strategy to looking at the smaller, more medium term sites that may be required to backfill some of the shortfall that may arise from these garden communities. And I say may because I don't feel you have enough evidence before you at the moment to be confident that it will be delivering the numbers that it's saying. We, we've heard from Mr Miles that the boundary of North Uttlesford may shrink for example, the developable area may shrink, um, well okay if it shrinks what does that mean in terms of the numbers that can come from it, what does that mean in terms of the impacts arising from those, that increased density on the developable area, there's so many bits of information that's missing here, I am very concerned that some of the matters that you discussed at the first week of hearings uh, are not adequately covered by what you've heard today Come back on that one. Uh, only to say that, um, I mean, I think we're straying into matter eight here. Yes. Um, so I, I don't feel the need we'll to... We'll deal to, with it there, yes. Yeah. That's fine. Mr Warren. Th thank you, ma'am. Rupert Warren, QC, on behalf of Landsec um, at Eastern Park. You, you know from what I said a couple of weeks ago, ma'am, that um, La Landsec's answer to your question in question four is no, not, not quite. They're, they're not adequately identified or, or to use the word that Mr Bedford draws attention to from the regulations illustrated. Um, it, this is our position um, in our representations and our position today. Um, we're still, as you know, in discussions with Uttlesford about the Statement of Common Ground and, and I hope having had this discussion we, we may in the end come to some sort of agreement on this point but as far as the tests in the MPPF that you're concerned with um, it, this goes to effectiveness uh, of the plan 
in one particular uh, respect. Um, at the moment, and just taking Eastern Park as the example, the fuzzy blob approach, we think, uh, lacks clarity, not just in relation to the site where housing and other development would be, but also for uh, transport links, as I mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, it goes, the lack of clarity, to concerns that a wide range of, of representatives have expressed about um, you being adequately sure about the deliverability of the 10,000 units and the other development on the site. It's important to know uh, where the site is, how it connects, how it would connect through uh, to the airport and to, to Great Dunmo. Uh, and that is why we think there should be greater clarity imposed through the policies map and through an initiative uh, drawing at this stage. And ma'am, I noticed that there's no real difference between Lansac's position here on this particular topic and what a range of people have said, including Historic England, um, in their paragraph 2.34, which Ms. Mack, I think, was reading from when she made her, her points earlier. You have in Appendix 2 of our um, matter statement um, the uh, current version of the master plan, which has a red line on it, which shows not just the area um, proposed for the, the full development through beyond the plan period, but also country park connections towards the airport and towards Great Dunmo. And what that shows uh, is that it is possible um, to do this exercise as part of this plan-making process. It, it isn't something which needs to wait or would be in the interests of good planning to postpone until a later stage, a, a DPD stage. It, it can, and we say, um, really should be done now. Uh, and that's in the interests of effective um, planning, demonstrating deliverability, and giving a degree of certainty for all the stakeholders concerned with the Eastern Park uh, development. Thank you. Do you want to come back on that point at all? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, thank you. Just, just briefly. Um, only to say that um, we, the Council thinks that uh, the DPD is the appropriate uh, place to um, uh, set out the, the, the key diagram and the concept diagram and, and all, the, all the words that we have in our, in our policy. Um, and we, we don't think it's appropriate to, to fix on, on the existing master plan of Landsec now. Um, we think this is um, seeking to circumvent the, um, the DPD process, um, which we think that the council thinks is, is important to the delivery of these sites. Thank you. Mr. Shrimp. Oh, sorry, Mr. Bampton. Thank you. I'm, I'm Mr. Bampton from Panam Structures. Um, my first concern actually really support is in, um, in alignment with Historic England's about um, the fact that if you've not gone, gone into more detail, it brings into question the evidence base and how the impacts will be mitigated. And I think that this goes deeper and possibly links back to the discussions of last week about housing trajectory. And uh, I don't want this to sound like I'm in agreement with the strategy supposed for the garden communities, but I would agree with Grosvenor's point that if you are going to deliver something, you need more certainty about the boundaries and parameters of it. And I say this because 
if you're the developer, as they are in this situation, they have presumably made land agreements with landowners and that's what they're proposing. And if there is you know, margins where boundaries move, other landowners come in and out, it's a, there's a huge delivery implication of that and that it, it would slow down and bring into question the already, you know, I'd say, sceptical projections the council have made previously. And uh, you know, for, for that reason, I think without more certainty at this stage, you, you can't rely on the housing trajectory as, as was raised previously. Um, the second part of it that I hasn't been mentioned that I think is really particularly relevant, someone just mentioned that 42% of the site um, in that in Great Chesterford is not going to be developed. Now, 42% is a huge amount of a site to not be developed. You know, you, what you're causing here is a great deal of urban sprawl. And actually, if we're going to build a garden community, shouldn't we be trying to make efficient use of the land in the way that the, I know we appreciate we're not being considered against it, but the way the new MPPF is encouraging developers to be? And you know, 42% of a 1,000-acre site, 420 acres, is a lot of fertile land. You know, it's enough to feed thousands of people in a year. And uh, you know, we don't have that much land in this country to grow food from, and I think we need to make better use of it and have more consideration for elements like that. Thank you. Thank you. The council want to comment on that? Oh, no. uh, thank you, Rob Shrimpton, on behalf of Chase New Homes. Um, notwithstanding the evident concerns of residents who want some certainty about um, where development is going to go, um, our concern is your ability to do that as inspectors at this late stage. So I would direct you in the first instance to paragraphs 3.83 and 3.84 of the local plan, which set out a number of steps that need to be gone through in order to identify boundaries. So uh, the identification of clear and defensible boundaries, appreciation of distances and separation of communities, relationship to existing settlements, green buffers, and protecting land in perpetuity. And then in paragraph 3.84, reference to con absolute constraints such as easements and buffers um, and, uh, a, and remaining constraints as well. And I think paragraph 3.84 in particular um, is a very succinct summary of what could be an extremely lengthy process. And I'd urge you to give great weight to the considerations set out in those two paragraphs and the effort and time that it will take to go through that process to define boundaries. Uh, secondly, um, the evidence base that supports this local plan, as I've said before, um, and others have said as well, is at a very high level. Uh, a lot of it is described as, uh, uh, described as such in its own uh, words. Um, and that work does not... <coughs> excuse me... Uh, because of its high-level nature, does not allow you to define specific boundaries. You simply do not have the detailed evidence base to support the drawing of specific boundaries. Thirdly, there's reference given in the Council's uh, hearing statements to Matter 4, and again, more recently, to two AAPs that have been produced and the timescales done for doing those. One was North West Cambridge and the other was the Felixstowe Peninsula. Now, in both of those, detailed boundaries were set out in the local plans. Um, so in, uh, in Suffolk Coastal Local Plan, adopted in July 2013, they're identified on Map 5. 
It was following that that the AEP was produced. And in the North West Cambridge Area Action Plan, uh, the idea was first mooted in the Structure Plan 2003, and then specific boundaries were identified in the Local Plan 2006. So it was because specific boundaries were identified that an AAP was thereafter allowed to flow so quickly within two years or three years. And in terms of identifying those boundaries, in terms of the Felix Day Peninsula, well, three quarters of the boundaries are defined by uh, rivers and the sea. Uh, and in terms of uh, northwest Cambridge, uh, the site is entirely enclosed by uh, the M11 uh, and the Huntington Road existing road. So defining boundaries was a much simpler process. Uh, so there is a knock-on effect in terms of uh, the examples that have been given for the speed of producing AAP was only possible because the local plan from which they emanated defined specific boundaries. And that isn't the case here and can't be the case here because of the lack of evidence and because of the considerations set out in the local plan. Um, and that brings me on to the final point, which is that the suggestion that the boundary should simply follow the land ownership of the promoters. Uh, again, it, it, as we've said uh, earlier in this session, means that the plan is being led by the promoters. It is entirely driven by promoters. There's no uh, proper as assessment and understanding of where those boundaries should be. Uh, 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 this should be a plan-led process. Uh, we said that that strategic overview was lacking on a plan-wide basis. We are now saying that it is lacking on a site-specific basis for those garden communities, that this isn't a matter of just simply transposing the land ownership of the particular parties into the plan. There needs to be a more thorough understanding of constraints uh, and how those uh, impact upon boundaries as set out in the local plan. Thank you. Uh, yes, just a couple of points there. First, on the the, um, the developer alleged developer-led nature of the plan, um, I'd like to remind you of the the spatial strategy background paper, which sets out all, all the work the council has done, including the areas of search identified at an early stage um, within which sites were were sought. And the second point was in relation to the Northwest Cambridge Area Action Plan. Um, the, the boundaries of the site were not uh, set out in the uh, local plan 2006. There was a, the Cambridge local plan had a, a broad wash over the site boundary within its area. South Cambridgeshire local plan uh, 2004 did not allocate uh, the Northwest Cambridge Area Action Plan, uh, the Northwest Cambridge site. Um, so I would not describe it as either a simpler process in that there were there were um, two local authorities involved, um, but it also did not define the, the site boundary. That was a, a key issue through the Air Action Plan examination, um, uh, and, and one of the arguments was, was where it should sit on, on the ridge facing the, the M11. Thank you. Mr Gadd. Thank you. It was just a very narrow point on the point that Mr. Bampton just made, claiming that 42% green space was a waste of land. And as a resident, I think you're probably aware that Essex produced a document about 10, 15 years ago saying Uttlesford has got less accessible public space than any other district in Essex. And actually, as a resident, 
uh, green space, I would say, is a wonderful thing rather than the waste of land. So it's just purely on... It's not argu- Sorry, it's purely on that very narrow point. Anybody else wants to speak on that? Uh, Mr. Warren. May I just come back very briefly, ma'am, on the, on the question that I, that I posed that I, I don't think was answered by the, uh, by the authority about whether uh, greater clarity could uh, and should be um, introduced into the plan in relation to the definition of Eastern Park at this stage. We, you were helpfully then taken a couple of minutes later to paragraphs 3.82 to 3.84 of the um, submission plans on page 37. Uh, and you'll remember the, the essential response that you had from the, the, the council to the points that I made was that um, our approach was seen as seeking to circumvent the DPD. Now, obviously, we're not seeking to circumvent the DPD. Our case, as you know, is that it's not necessary to have a DPD, partly because of the uh, delivery and delay consequences of, uh, of interposing a DPD stage in the delivery of Eastern Park. You, I won't go over that again. So there is a relationship between uh, DPD uh, a stage and delivery. But, but my question, uh, I can rephrase by reference to 3.82 to 3.84. When you look at those again, sir, uh, ma'am, I don't ask you to do that now, you'll, you'll see that w- based on uh, the approach that there should be a DPD for Eastern Park. Uh, there's then a list of uh, decisions and assessments that the authority identifies as taking place as part of the DPD process. So identification of clear and defensible boundaries, for instance, is the first one on 3.83. And, and my, our, our real challenge is, um, what is it about any of those that cannot be done now, including the assessment of big points, major, absolute constraints and so on that are referred to in 3.84. And when I referred in my earlier comments, ma'am, to the um, uh, Landsec master plan, I wasn't suggesting that that should be, as it were, shoehorned into the plan. I was just using that as an illustration of the kind of detail and kind of judgments that it is possible to to scrutinise and to take take a view on at this stage. And you'll you'll have seen from that, ma'am, that... um, uh, significant attention has been given to the relationship between uh, developable areas and, for instance, the RPG at Eastern Park, to relationship with the airport, country park, and so on. So really grappling with these big things that one might find in a, a kind of master plan or a concept diagram is possible, certainly, we would say, in relation to Eastern Park. And, and that's a discussion, as I, as I said. I don't want this to be too... It isn't really an antagonistic position that we're taking with the council. I hope that we can continue that discussion with them you know, through the rest of the process and, and perhaps agree. Thank you. Jump to... So, uh, Madam, just briefly to respond, because we are trespassing more into Matter 8 issues in terms of the, uh, the detail of, of, of how best to plan individual... Uh, garden uh, communities Um, but in in summary terms in relation to um, Mr Warren's points there's probably two different issues that uh, we might end up needing to explore a little bit more tomorrow Uh, but one is is there a sufficient evidence base uh, to enable properly informed decisions to be made on those matters uh, that are outlined in paragraphs 382 and 383 
uh, of uh, the, uh, the local plan. And uh, we think that there isn't, at the moment, sufficient to enable those matters to be fully and carefully assessed. There's enough to enable you to, to take the high-level decision, which is that the principle uh, should proceed and should be confirmed. But the more detailed work and assessment and consultation and engagement with stakeholders, etc., to inform uh, those uh, matters at 382 and 383 hasn't yet taken place, and we don't think that that should be, um, as it were, circumvented. And then the second point, and this is a point where I suspect there's just a bit of a disagreement uh, on legal matters, so I hopefully won't trouble you too long on those. Uh, we, we do have a, a disagreement um, about the uh, proper scope of what could be left to non-DPD guidance. Uh, and we think, in a sense unhelpfully to ourselves uh, uh, in, in some respects, we think that the way that the law has ended up interpreting the 2012 regulations is very, very restrictive about what guidance a local planning authority can issue outside of a DPD. And in a sense it would be easier for us if it wasn't so restrictive because, as everybody knows, an SPD can be produced in a much shorter timescale than a DPD, and that would obviously help on some of the uh, timescale issues that are being debated. Uh, but I say, uh, as, as we are uh, presently uh, understanding uh, the case law and the regulations, we just think that we can't leave matters of detail which will impose requirements on a developer as to what has to be provided, we don't feel that we can leave that to subordinate um, SPD or master planning or other documents. It needs to be in a DPD and as matters stand at the moment there isn't a sufficient evidence base to allow us to articulate all of those requirements in the level of detail that would be needed uh, to support uh, a DPD, which is why I say we say that there is a need for that further round of plan making uh, at the next stage beyond the, the allocations. As I understand it, Mr. Warren, what you're saying is though that, um, that that level of detail should be put into this plan and that would allow then for a, an SPD. That, that's... that's right. I mean, we, we can, we'll debate, no doubt, when we, we talk tomorrow about Eastern Park in detail, what it is to make a sound plan that actually needs to be in, in this plan, where we think that what needs to be in this plan can be in this plan. And, and an SPD can then ensure speedier delivery than a DPD process. And we, we have an entirely different view about the application of the regulations and the case law that we can tell you about briefly, <laughs> briefly tomorrow. But it's, in the end, it's a practical point that we think that a, re, a, a clear red line is going to help everybody and the big decisions showing the 10,000 can be delivered, etc., can be done at this stage, allowing sufficient certainty uh, for an SPD to knock a year off, potentially, the delivery of units on the site, which is, if the thing gets in principle, agreement is in everybody's interest. So we'll have to come back to that, I, I suspect, yes, tomorrow. tomorrow, yeah. yeah. Thank you.
Professor Mack, did you want to speak? Yes. Thank you, if I may, Debbie Mack, Historic England. Um, I agree entirely um, with uh, Mr Miles on his point that we shouldn't fixate on any particular master plan at the moment. I think that is very important that we don't do that at this stage. This is an examination into the local plan, not into particular master plans. Um, and certainly we are not su suggesting that we fixate on any particular master plan. Uh, but we are suggesting that a diagram showing broad principles would provide the reassurance that so many people are looking for uh, regarding which parts of the site would and would not be developed, which parts of the site would be protected. Um, as I said in a meeting uh, with Uttlesford over a year ago, a picture tells a thousand words. Thank you. That's better. Um, just, sorry, <laughs> just uh, as a point of clarification, but I think it's an important point because it goes to timescales on the uh, North West Cambridge Air Action Plan. Uh, Mr. Mar there may be some confusion. I think Mr. Mars was suggesting there was debate through the adoption of the AAP about the full extent of the developable extent of, of that area. My point was that the AAP boundary, uh, which included buffer zones, was defined in the adopted local plan. I'm looking at the proposals map now here in front of me. And the point is that the council have relied upon that AAP as an example of one that can progress at speed, i.e. within three years. My point is that that's because that AAP started from, if you will, a starting point. In this case, we are, we are behind the start line in that we do not have, for the points I explained earlier, uh, defined boundaries. So we've got to go through that stage to get to the starting point. And at that starting point, it might well take three years, but there's a period of time before you even get to the starting point uh, that has to be factored into then the trajectory and, and everything else. Do you want to disagree with that, Mr. Miles? Or? Uh, in part. Um, so in relation to the area action plan boundary, the the area was defined within the Cambridge local plan. I, I agree with Mr. Shrimplin there. Um, but for the area within South Cambridgeshire, it, it was not defined in their adopted local plan. Um, this resulted in, in some, some curiosities in, in that area action plan in that it, for um, the area within Cambridge, land was being put back into the green belt, having been removed from the lo within the local plan. And in South Cambridgeshire, the, the area was being taken out of the green belt. Uh, I, I've maintained the position that I don't think it was, it was a simpler process than, than what we're proposing here. Okay, thank you. Just coming up to one o'clock, um, I think we've probably gone round the issue of whether it should be a fuzzy blob or a, a defined line. Um, the next point, which I think is probably going to take quite a lot of time, is um, number five, which is the infrastructure delivery plan. So proposed to obviously deal with that after the lunch break. Um, just to use the few minutes up to that point, uh, up to the one o'clock point, um, the way I intend to deal with that is I've kind of scribbled all over my version of the latest infrastructure delivery plan. I'd quite like to go through it more or less line by line with the council to, to pick up on, on various points on that. Um, if there's points that developers particularly have any information on, I think we talked about that this morning, that the council are not able to help on, 
then that might be helpful. But I think it's probably better that then we deal with all of the comments at the end once we've been through it all. Otherwise, it could get to be a really difficult process of going through it in, in detail, line by line, with everybody else chipping in. We might never get to the end of the day before midnight or whatever. So, um, so that's how I intend to, uh, to deal with it, so that you kind of come prepared after lunch with the relevant documents. We've got, we've got lots of iterations of it, haven't we? We've got the latest one, then I think there's February, December last year, uh, and then June last year. Is there, there's, there's quite a few different ones. And, and I think the topic paper that was prepared is probably a little bit out of date now as well, isn't it? Because that was based on the February. Um. Mr. Gillum, correct me if I'm wrong, but yes, there was uh, a version of the schedules provided with the topic paper in response to your initial questions, um, and then there is one further version that's been provided, uh, document ED27A. Yes, that's the one. There was some last year as well, some IDP documents, wasn't there? That uh, yes, there was... Um, June or something was. But there was the, the version which came alongside the uh, Regulation 19 local plan. Yeah. There was an update in December, December yeah. uh, relating to a very narrow point on community facilities provision. Uh, relating to community facilities provision, that's, that's, it's quite, quite narrow. The... the, the the wider updates uh, relate to the, the February and then the July uh, okay. documents. So we'll principally look at the one today and then if there's any points, I think people have spotted that some things disappeared and um, where have they gone, kind of, have they been forgotten or is there a reason why they're not there, that sort of thing. So, Okay, so it's dead at one o'clock now. I know everybody needs an hour here to be able to go find some, uh, some lunch because you've got to walk or drive to find it. So we'll come back at, at two o'clock and um, deal with the IDP first.